Chapter Sixteen of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Sixteen. The stampede to French Hill was on by the beginning of Christmas week. Corliss and Bishop had been in no hurry to record, for they looked the ground over carefully before blazing their stakes, and let a few close friends into the secret. Harney, Wells, Trethaway, a Dutch Chicago who had forfeited both feet to the frost, a couple of the mounted police, an old pal with whom Dell had prospected through the Black Hills country, the washerwoman at the forks, last and notably Lucille. Corliss was responsible for her getting on the lay, and he drove and marked her stakes himself, though it fell to the colonel to deliver the invitation to her to come and be rich. In accordance with the custom of the country, those thus benefited offered to sign over half-interest to the two discoverers. Corliss would not tolerate the proposition. Dell was similarly minded, though swayed by no ethical reasons. He had enough as it stood. "'Got my fruit ranch paid for, double the size I was calculating on,' he explained. "'And if I had any more, I wouldn't know what to do with it, sure.' after the strike corliss took it upon himself as a matter of course to look about for another man but when he brought a keen-eyed californian into camp dell was duly wroth not on your life he stormed but you are rich now vance answered and have no need to work rich hell the pocket miner rejoined according to covenant you can't fire me and i'm going to hold the job down as long as my sweet will'll let me savvy on friday morning early all interested parties appeared before the gold commissioner to record their claims the news went abroad immediately in five minutes the first stampeders were hitting the trail at the end of half an hour the town was afoot to prevent mistakes on their property jumping moving of stakes and mutilation of notices vance and dell after promptly recording started to return but with the government seal attached to their holdings they took it leisurely the stampeders sliding past them in a steady stream midway dell chanced to look behind st vincent was in sight footing it at a lively pace the regulation stampeding pack on his shoulders the trail made a sharp bend at that place and with the exception of the three of them no one was in sight don't speak to me don't recognize me dale cautioned sharply as he spoke buttoning his nose strap across his face which served to quite hide his identity there's a water hole over there get down on your belly and make a blind at getting a drink then go on by your lonely to the claims i've business of my own to handle and for the love of your brother don't say a word to me or to the skunk don't let him see your face Curlis obeyed wonderingly, stepping aside from the beaten path, lying down in the snow and dipping into the water-hole with an empty condensed milk can. Bishop bent on one knee and stooped as though fastening his moccasin. Just as St. Vincent came up with him, he finished tying the knot and started forward with the feverish haste of a man trying to make up for lost time. "'I say, hold on, my man,' the correspondent called out to him. Bishop shot a hurried glance at him and pressed on st vincent broke into a run till they were side by side again is this the way to the benches of french hill dell snapped him short bet your life that's the way i'm headin so long he ploughed forward at a tremendous rate and the correspondent half running swung in behind with the evident intention of taking the pace corliss still in the dark lifted his head and watched them go 
but when he saw the pocket miner swerve abruptly to the right and take the trail up adams creek the light dawned upon him and he laughed softly to himself late that night dell arrived in camp on eldorado exhausted but jubilant didn't do a thing to him he cried before he was half inside the tent flaps give me a bite to eat grabbing at the teapot and running a hot flood down his throat cookin fat slush old moccasins candle ends anything then he collapsed upon the blankets and fell to rubbing his stiff leg muscles while corliss fried bacon and dished up the beans what about em he exulted between mouthfuls well you can slack your chips that he didn't get in on the french hill benches how far is it my man in the well-mimicked patronizing tones of st vincent how far is it with the patronage left out how far to french hill weakly how far do you think it is very weakly with a tremolo which hinted of repressed tears how far the pocket miner burst into roars of laughter which were choked by a misdirected flood of tea and which left him coughing and speechless where'd i leave him when he had recovered over on the divide to the indian river winded plum beaten done for just about able to crawl into the nearest camp and that's about all i've covered fifty stiff miles myself so here's for bed good night don't call me in the morning he turned into the blankets all standing and as he dozed off vance could hear him muttering how far is it my man i say how far is it regarding lucille corliss was disappointed i confess i cannot understand her he said to colonel trethaway i thought her bench claim would make her independent of the opera house you can't get a dump out in a day the colonel interposed but you can mortgage the dirt in the ground when it prospects as hers does yet i took that into consideration and offered to advance her a few thousand non-interest bearing and she declined she said she didn't need it in fact was really grateful thanked me and said that any time i was short to come and see her trethaway smiled and played with his watch-chain what would you life even here certainly means more to you and me than a bit of grub a piece of blanket and a yukon stove she is as gregarious as the rest of us and probably a little more so suppose you cut her off from the opera house what then may she go to the barracks and consort with the captain's lady make social calls on mrs scoville or chum with frona don't you see will you escort her in daylight down the public street will you vance demanded ay the colonel replied unhesitatingly and with pleasure and so will i but he paused and gazed gloomily into the fire let's see how she's going on with st vincent as thick as thieves they are and always together puzzles me trethaway admitted i can grasp st vincent's side of it many irons in the fire and lucille owns a bench claim on the second tier of french hill mark me corliss we can tell infallibly the day that frona consents to go to his bed and board if she ever does consent and that will be the day st vincent breaks with lucille corliss pondered and the colonel went on but i can't grasp lucille's side of it what she can see in st vincent her taste is no worse than than that of the rest of the women vance broke in hotly i am sure that frona could not display poor taste eh corliss turned on his heel and walked out and left colonel trethaway smiling grimly vance corliss never knew how many people directly and indirectly had his cause at heart that christmas week two men strove in particular one for him and one for the sake of frona 
Pete Whipple, an old-timer in the land, possessed an Eldorado claim directly beneath French Hill, also a woman of the country for a wife, a swarthy breed, not over-pretty, whose Indian mother had mated with a Russian fur trader some thirty years before at Cutlick on the Great Delta. Bishop went down one Sunday morning to yarn away an hour or so with Whipple, but found the wife alone in the cabin. She talked a bastard English gibberish which was an anguish to hear, so the pocket-miner resolved to smoke a pipe and depart without rudeness. But he got her tongue wagging, and to such an extent that he stopped and smoked many pipes, and whenever she lagged, urged her on again. He grunted and chuckled and swore in undertones while he listened, punctuating her narrative regularly with hells, which adequately expressed the many shades of interest he felt. In the midst of it, the woman fished an ancient leather-bound volume, all scarred and marred from the bottom of a dilapidated chest, and thereafter it lay on the table between them. Though it remained unopened, she constantly referred to it by look and gesture, and each time she did so a greedy light blazed in Bishop's eyes. At the end, when she could say no more, and had repeated herself from two to half a dozen times, he pulled out his sack. Mrs. Whipple set up the gold scales and placed the weights, which he counterbalanced with a hundred dollars' worth of dust. Then he departed up the hill to the tent, hugging the purchase closely, and broke in on Corliss, who sat in the blankets, mending moccasins. "'I'll fix em yet,' Dell remarked casually, at the same time patting the book and throwing it down on the bed. Corliss looked up inquiringly and opened it. The paper was yellow with age and rotten from the weather wear of trail, while the text was printed in Russian. "'I didn't know you were a Russian scholar, Dell,' he quizzed, "'but I can't read a line of it.' "'Neither can I, more's the pity. Nor does Whipple's woman savvy the lingo. I got it from her. But her old man, he was full Russian, you know, he used to read it aloud to her. But she knows what she knows, and what her old man knew, and so do I.' "'And what do the three of you know?' oh that's tellin bishop answered coyly but you wait and watch my smoke and when you see it rising you'll know too matt mccarthy came in over the ice christmas week summed up the situation so far as frona and st vincent were concerned and did not like it dave harney furnished him with full information to which he added that obtained from lucille with whom he was on good terms perhaps it was because he received the full benefit of the sum of their prejudice but no matter how, he at any rate answered roll-call with those who looked upon the correspondent with disfavor. It was impossible for them to tell why they did not approve of the man, but somehow St. Vincent was never much of a success with men. This, in turn, might have been due to the fact that he shone so resplendently with women as to cast his fellows in eclipse, for otherwise, in his intercourse with men, he was all that a man could wish there was nothing domineering or overriding about him while he manifested a good fellowship at least equal to their own yet having withheld his judgment after listening to lucille and harney matt mccarthy speedily reached a verdict upon spending an hour with st vincent at jacob wells's and this in face of the fact that what lucille had said had been invalidated by matt's learning of her intimacy with the man in question strong of friendship quick of heart and hand matt did not let the grass grow under his feet tis i'll be taking a social fling myself as befits a member of the notial eldorado dynasty he explained and went up the hill to a whist party in dave harney's cabin to himself he added 
and belike if satan takes his eye off his own i'll put it to that young cub of his but more than once during the evening he discovered himself challenging his own judgment probe as he would with his innocent wit matt found himself baffled st vincent certainly rang true simple light-hearted unaffected joking and being joked in all good nature thoroughly democratic matt failed to catch the faintest echo of insincerity may the dogs walk on me grave he communed with himself while studying a hand which suffered from a plethora of trumps is it the years are tellin puttin the frost on me veins and chillin the blood a likely lad and is it for me to misjudge because his is a taken way with the ladies just because the swate creatures smile on the lad and flutter warm at the sight of him bright eyes and brave men tis the way they have of love and valour they're shudderin and shocked at the cruel and bloody deeds of war yet who so quick do they lose their hearts to as the brave butcher by of a soldier why not the lad's done brave things and the girls give him the warm soft smile small reason that for me to be callin him the divil's own cub out upon ye matt mccarthy for a crusty old sourdough with vitals frozen and summer gone from your heart tis an ossification ye've become but by de wee matt by de wee he supplemented wait till ye've felt the fail of his flesh the opportunity came shortly when st vincent with frona opposite swept in the full thirteen tricks a ramps matt cried vincent me lad a ramps your hand on it me brave it was a stout grip neither warm nor clammy but matt shook his head dubiously what's the good of bothering he muttered to himself as he shuffled the cards for the next deal ye old fool find out first how frona darlin stands and if it's pat she is then tis time for doin oh mccarthy's all hunky dave harney assured them later on coming to the rescue of st vincent who was getting the rough side of the irishman's wit the evening was over and the company was putting on its wraps and mittens didn't tell you about his visit to the cathedral did he when he was on the outside well it was suthin like this as he was explainin it to me he went to the cathedral during service and took in the priests and choir boys in their surplices parkas he called them and watched the burnin of the holy incense and do you know dave he says to me they got in and made a smudge and there wa'n't a darn mosquito in sight through every word of it matt unblushingly fathered harney's yarn and did ye never hear tell of the time dave and me got drunk on condensed milk oh horrors cried mrs scoville but how do tell us was during the time of the candle famine at forty mile cold snap on and dave slides into me shack to pass the time of day and glues his eyes on me case of condensed milk how'd ye like a sip of morin's good whisky he says eyeing the case of the milk while i confess me mouth went wet at the naked thought of it but what's the use of likin says i with me sack bulgin with emptiness candles worth tin dollars the dozen says he a dollar apiece will ye give six cans of milk for a bottle of the old stuff how'll ye do it says i trust me says he give me the cans tis cold out of doors and i've a pair of candle moulds and it's the sacred truth i'm tellin ye all and if ye run across bill moran he'll back me word for what does dave harney do but lug off me six cans freeze the milk into his candle moulds 
and trade him in to bill morin for a bottle of tanglefoot as soon as he could be heard through the laughter harney raised his voice it's true as mccarthy tells but he's only told you the half can't you guess the rest matt matt shook his head being short on milk myself and not over much sugar i doctored three of your cans with water which went to make the candles and by the by i had milk in my coffee for a month to come it's on me dave mccarthy admitted tis only that you're me host or i'd be shockin the ladies with your notorious disgraces but i'll lave you live this time dave come spade the partin guests we must be movin no you don't ye young laddie buck he interposed as st vincent started to take frona down the hill tis her foster daddy sees her home this night mccarthy laughed in his silent way and offered his arm to frona while st vincent joined in the laugh against himself dropped back and joined miss mortimer and baron Curberton. what's this i'm hearin about you and vincent matt bluntly asked as soon as they had drawn apart from the others he looked at her with his keen gray eyes but she returned the look quite as keenly how should i know what you have been hearing she countered when the talk goes round of a maid and a man the one pretty and the other not unhandsome both young and neither married does it token aught but the one thing yes and the one thing the greatest thing in all the world well frona was the least bit angry but did not feel inclined to help him marriage of course he blurted out tis said it looks that way with the pair of ye but is it said that it is that way isn't the looks of it enough he demanded no and you are old enough to know better mr st vincent and i we enjoy each other as friends that is all but suppose it is as you say what of it well mccarthy deliberated there's other talk goes round tis said vincent is over thick with a jade down in the town lucille they speak of her all of which signifies she waited and mccarthy watched her dumbly i know lucille and i like her frona continued filling the gap of his silence and ostentatiously manoeuvring to help him out do you know her don't you like her matt started to speak cleared his throat and halted at last in desperation he blurted out for two cents frona i'd lay ye across me knee she laughed you don't dare i'm not running bare-legged at dia now don't be tasin he blarneyed i'm not teasing don't you like her lucille and what of it he challenged brazenly just what i asked what of it then i'll tell ye in plain words from a man old enough to be your father tis undicent damnably undicent for a man to keep company with a good young girl thank you she laughed dropping a courtesy then she added half in bitterness there have been others who name me the man he cried hotly there there go on you were saying that it's a cryin' shame for a man to keep company with with you and at the same time be chaked by jowl with a woman of her stamp and why to come drippin from the muck to dirty your cleanness and ye can ask why but wait matt wait a moment granting your premises little i know of premises he growled tis facts i'm dalin with frona bit her lip never mind have it as you will but let me go on and i will deal with facts too when did you last see lucille and why are ye askin he demanded suspiciously never mind why the fact 
well then the fore part of last night and much good may it do ye and danced with her a rollicking virginia reel and not sayin a word of a quadrille or so tis at square dances i excel meself frona walked on in a simulated brown study no sound going up from the twain save the complaint of the snow under their moccasins well then he questioned uneasily and what of it he insisted after another silence oh nothing she answered i was just wondering which was the muckiest mr st vincent or you or myself with whom you have both been cheek by jowl now mccarthy was unversed in the virtues of social wisdom and though he felt somehow the error of her position he could not put it into definite thought so he steered wisely if weakly out of danger it's getting mad ye are with your old mat he insinuated who has your own good at heart and because of it makes a fool of himself no i'm not but ye are there leaning swiftly to him and kissing him how could i remember the dia days and be angry ah frona darlin well may ye say it i'm the dust of the dirt under your feet and ye may walk on me anything save get mad i could die for ye swing for ye to make ye happy i could kill the man that gave ye sorrow were it but a thimbleful and go plump into hell with a smile on me face and joy in me heart they had halted before her door and she pressed his arm gratefully i am not angry matt but with the exception of my father you are the only person i would have permitted to talk to me about this this affair in the way you have and though i like you matt love you better than ever i shall nevertheless be very angry if you mention it again you have no right it is something that concerns me alone and it is wrong of you to prevent you walking blind into danger if you wish to put it that way yes he growled deep down in his throat what is it you are saying she asked that ye may shut me mouth but ye can't bind me arm but you mustn't matt dear you mustn't again he answered with a subterranean murmur and i want you to promise me now that you will not interfere in my life that way by word or deed i'll not promise but you must i'll not further it's getting cold on the stoop and ye'll be frostin your toes the pink little toes i fished splinters out of at dia so it's in with ye frona girl and good night he thrust her inside and departed when he reached the corner he stopped suddenly and regarded his shadow on the snow matt mccarthy you're a damn fool who ever heard of a wells not knowing their own mind as though ye've never had dalins with the stiff-necked breed ye calamitous son of misfortune then he went his way still growling deeply and at every growl the curious wolf-dog at his heels bristled and bared its fangs end of chapter sixteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com Chapter Seventeen of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Seventeen. Tired? Jacob Wells put both hands on Frona's shoulders, and his eyes spoke the love his stiff tongue could not compass. The tree and the excitement and the pleasure were over with a score or so of children had gone home frostily happy across the snow the last guest had departed and christmas eve and christmas day were blending into one 
she returned his fondness with glad-eyed interest and they dropped into huge comfortable chairs on either side the fireplace in which the backlog was falling to ruddy ruin and this time next year he put the question seemingly to the glowing log and as if in ominous foreshadow it flared brightly and crumbled away in a burst of sparks it is marvellous he went on dismissing the future in an effort to shake himself into a wholesomer frame of mind it has been one long continuous miracle the last few months since you have been with me we have seen very little of each other you know since your childhood and when i think upon it soberly it is hard to realize that you are really mine sprung from me bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh as the tangle-haired wild young creature of d a a healthy little natural animal and nothing more it required no imagination to accept you as one of the breed of wells but as frona the woman as you were to-night as you are now as i look at you as you have been since you came down the yukon it is hard i cannot realize i he faltered and threw up his hands helplessly i almost wish that i had given you no education that i had kept you with me faring with me adventuring with me achieving with me and failing with me i would have known you now as we sit by the fire as it is i do not to that which i did know there has been added somehow what shall i call it a subtlety complexity favourite words of yours which is beyond me no he waved the speech abruptly from her lips she came over and knelt at his feet resting her head on his knee and clasping his hand in firm sympathy no that is not true those are not the words i cannot find them i fail to say what i feel let me try again underneath all you do carry the stamp of the breed i knew i risked the loss of that when i sent you away but i had faith in the persistence of the blood and i took the chance doubted and feared when you were gone waited and prayed dumbly and hoped oftentimes hopelessly and then the day dawned the day of days when they said your boat was coming death rose and walked on the one hand of me and on the other life everlasting made or marred made or marred the words rang through my brain till they maddened me would the wells remain the wells would the blood persist would the young shoot rise straight and tall and strong green with sap and fresh and vigorous or would it droop limp and lifeless withered by the heats of the world other than the little simple natural d a world it was the day of days and yet it was a lingering watching waiting tragedy you know i had lived the years lonely fought the lone fight and you away the only kin if it had failed but your boat shot from the bluffs into the open and i was half afraid to look men have never called me coward but i was nearer the coward then than ever and all before i that moment i had faced death easier and it was foolish absurd how could i know whether it was for good or ill when you drifted a distant speck on the river still i looked and the miracle began for i did know you stood at the steering sweep you were a wells it seemed so little in truth it meant so much it was not to be expected of a mere woman but of a wells yes and when bishop went over the side and you gripped the situation as imperatively as the sweep and your voice rang out and the siwashes bent their backs to your will then was it the day of days i tried always and remembered frona whispered she crept up softly till her arm was about his neck and her head against his breast 
he rested one arm lightly on her body and poured her bright hair again and again from his hand in glistening waves as i said the stamp of the breed was unmarred but there was yet a difference there is a difference i have watched it studied it tried to make it out i have sat at table proud by the side of you but dwarfed when you talked of little things i was large enough to follow when of big things too small i knew you had my hand on you when presto and you were away gone i was lost he is a fool who knows not his own ignorance i was wise enough to know mine art poetry music what do i know of them and they were the great things were the great things to you mean more to you than the little things i may comprehend and i had hoped blindly foolishly that we might be one in the spirit as well as the one flesh it has been bitter but i have faced it and understand but to see my own red blood get away from me elude me rise above me it stuns god i have heard you read from your browning no no do not speak and watch the play of your face the uplift and the passion of it and all the while the words droning in upon me meaningless musical maddening and mrs scoville sitting there nursing an expression of idiotic ecstasy and understanding no more than i i could have strangled her why i have stolen away at night with your browning and locked myself like a thief in fear the text was senseless i have beaten my head with my fist like a wild man to try and knock some comprehension into it for my life had worked itself out along one set groove deep and narrow i was in the rut i had done those things which came to my hand and done them well but the time was past i could not turn my hand anew i who am strong and dominant who have played large with destiny who could buy body and soul a thousand painters and versifiers was baffled by a few paltry cents worth of printed paper he spilled her hair for a moment's silence to come back i had attempted the impossible gambled against the inevitable i had sent you from me to get that which i had not dreaming that we would still be one as though two could be added to two and still remain two so to sum up the breed still holds but you have learned an alien tongue when you speak it i am deaf and bitterest of all i know that the new tongue is the greater i do not know why i have said all this made my confession of weakness oh father mine greatest of men she raised her head and laughed into his eyes the while brushing back the thick iron-gray hair which thatched the dome of his forehead you who have wrestled more mightily done greater things than these painters and versifiers you who know so well the law of change might not the same plaint fall from your father's lips were he to sit now beside you and look upon your work and you yes yes i have said that i understand do not let us discuss it a moment's weakness my father was a great man and so mine a struggler to the end of his days he fought the great lone fight and so mine and died fighting and so shall mine so shall we all we wellses he shook her playfully in token of returning spirits but i intend to sell out mines company everything and study browning still the fight you can't discount the blood father why were you not a boy he demanded abruptly 
you would have been a splendid one as it is a woman made to be the delight of some man you must pass from me to-morrow next day this time next year who knows how soon ah now i know the direction my thought has been trending just as i know you do so do i recognize the inevitableness of it and the justness but the man frona the man don't she demurred tell me of your father's fight the last fight the great lone fight at treasure city ten to one it was and well fought tell me no frona do you realize that for the first time in our lives we talk together seriously as father and daughter for the first time you have had no mother to advise no father for i trusted the blood and wisely and let you go but there comes a time when the mother's counsel is needed and you you never knew one frona yielded in instant recognition and waiting snuggled more closely to him this man st vincent how is it between you i i do not know how do you mean remember always frona that you have free choice yours is the last word still i would like to understand i could perhaps i might be able to suggest but nothing more still a suggestion there was something inexpressibly sacred about it yet she found herself tongue-tied instead of the one definite thing to say a muddle of ideas fluttered in her brain after all could he understand was there not a difference which prevented him from comprehending the motives which for her were impelling for all her harking back to the primitive and stout defence of its sanity and truth did his native philosophy give him the same code which she drew from her acquired philosophy then she stood aside and regarded herself and the queries she put and drew apart from them for they breathed of treason there is nothing between us father she spoke up resolutely mr st vincent has said nothing nothing we are good friends we like each other we are very good friends i think that is all but you like each other you like him is it in the way a woman must like a man before she can honestly share her life with him lose herself in him do you feel with ruth so that when the time comes you can say thy people are my people and thy god my god no it may be but i cannot dare not face it say it or not say it think it or not think it now it is the great affirmation when it comes it must come no one may know how or why in a great white flash like a revelation hiding nothing revealing everything in dazzling blinding truth at least so i imagine jacob wells nodded his head with the slow meditation of one who understands yet stops to ponder and weigh again but why have you asked father why has mr st vincent been raised i have been friends with other men but i have not felt about other men as i do of st vincent we may be truthful you and i and forgive the pain we give each other my opinion counts for no more than another's fallibility is the commonest of curses nor can i explain why i feel as i do i oppose much in the way you expect to when your great white flash sears your eyes but in a word i do not like st vincent a very common judgment of him among the men frona interposed driven irresistibly to the defence so consensus of opinion only makes my position stronger he returned but not disputatively yet i must remember that i look upon him as men look his popularity with women must proceed from the fact that women look differently than men just as women do differ physically and spiritually from men it is deep too deep for me to explain i but follow my nature and try to be just 
but have you nothing more definite she asked groping for better comprehension of his attitude can you not put into some sort of coherence some one certain thing of the things you feel i hardly dare intuitions can rarely be expressed in terms of thought but let me try we wellses have never known a coward and where cowardice is nothing can endure it is like building on sand or like a vile disease which rots and rots and we know not when it may break forth but it seems to me that mr st vincent is the last man in the world with whom cowardice may be associated i cannot conceive of him in that light the distress in her face hurt him i know nothing against st vincent there is no evidence to show that he is anything but what he appears still i cannot help feeling it in my fallible human way yet there is one thing i have heard a sordid pot-roast brawl in the opera house mind you frona i say nothing against the brawl or the place men are men but it is said that he did not act as a man ought that night but as you say father men are men we would like to have them other than they are for the world surely would be better but we must take them as they are lucille no no you misunderstand i did not refer to her but to the fight he did not he was cowardly but as you say it is said he told me about it not long afterwards and i do not think he would have dared had there been anything but i do not make it as a charge jacob wells hastily broke in merely hearsay and the prejudice of the men would be sufficient to account for the tale and it has no bearing anyway i should not have brought it up for i have known good men funk in my time buck fever as it were and now let us dismiss it all from our minds i merely wish to suggest and i suppose i have bungled but understand this frona turning her face up to his understand above all things and in spite of them first last and always that you are my daughter and that i believe your life is sacredly yours not mine yours to deal with and to make or mar your life is yours to live and in so far that i influence it you will not have lived your life nor would your life have been yours nor would you have been a wells for there was never a wells yet who suffered dictation they died first or went away to pioneer on the edge of things why if you thought the dance-house the proper or natural medium for self-expression i might be sad but to-morrow i would sanction your going down to the opera house it would be unwise to stop you and further it is not our way the wellses have never stood by in many a lost cause and forlorn hope knee to knee and shoulder to shoulder conventions are worthless for such as we they are for the swine who without them would wallow deeper the weak must obey or be crushed not so with the strong the mass is nothing the individual everything and it is the individual always that rules the mass and gives the law a fig for what the world says if the wells should procreate a bastard line this day it would be the way of the wells and you would be a daughter of the wells and in the face of hell and heaven of god himself we would stand together we of the one blood frona you and i you are larger than i she whispered kissing his forehead and the caress of her lips seemed to him the soft impact of a leaf falling through the still autumn air and as the heat of the room ebbed away he told of her foremother and of his and of the sturdy wells who fought the great lone fight and died fighting at treasure city End of chapter 17 read by Don W Jenkins Rancho San Diego California shaggybark.blogspot.com
Chapter eighteen of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter eighteen. The doll's house was a success. Mrs. Scoville ecstasized over it in terms so immeasurable, so unqualifiable, that Jacob Wells, standing near, bent a glittering glaze upon her plump white throat and unconsciously clutched and closed his hand on an invisible windpipe. Dave Harney proclaimed its excellence effusively, though he questioned the soundness of Nora's philosophy, and swore by his Puritan gods that Torvald was the longest-eared jack in two hemispheres. Even Miss Mortimer, antagonistic as she was to the whole school, conceded that the players had redeemed it while matt mccarthy announced that he didn't blame nora darlin the least bit though he told the gold commissioner privately that a song or so and a skirt dance wouldn't have hurt the performance of course the nora girl was right he insisted to harney both of whom were walking on the heels of frona and st vincent i'd be seein rubber rubber your grandmother matt wrathfully exclaimed as i was sayin harney continued imperturbably rubber boots is goin to go sky high about the time of wash-up three ounces the pair and you can put your chips on that for a high card you can gather em in now for an ounce a pair and clear two on the deal a cinch mat a dead open and shut the devil take you and your cinches it's nora darlin i have in me mind the while they bade good-bye to frona and st vincent and went off disputing under the stars in the direction of the opera house gregory st vincent heaved an audible sigh at last at last what frona asked incuriously at last the first opportunity for me to tell you how well you did you carried off the final scene wonderfully so well that it seemed you were really passing out of my life forever what a misfortune it was terrible no but yes i took the whole condition upon myself you were not nora you were frona nor i torvald but gregory when you made your exit capped and jacketed and travelling bag in hand it seemed i could not possibly stay and finish my lines and when the door slammed and you were gone the only thing that saved me was the curtain it brought me to myself or else i would have rushed after you in the face of the audience it is strange how a simulated part may react upon one frona speculated or rather st vincent suggested frona made no answer and they walked on without speech she was still under the spell of the evening and the exaltation which had come to her as nora had not yet departed besides she read between the lines of st vincent's conversation and was oppressed by the timidity which comes over woman when she faces man on the verge of the greater intimacy it was a clear cold night not over cold not more than forty below and the land was bathed in a soft diffused flood of light which found its source not in the stars nor yet in the moon which was somewhere over the other side of the world from the southeast to the northwest a pale greenish glow fringed the rim of the heavens and it was from this the dim radiance was exhaled suddenly like the ray of a searchlight a band of white light ploughed overhead night turned to ghostly day on the instant then blacker night descended but to the southeast a noiseless commotion was apparent 
the glowing greenish gauze was in a ferment bubbling uprearing downfalling and tentatively thrusting huge bodiless hands into the upper ether once more a cyclopean rocket twisted its fiery way across the sky from horizon to zenith and on and on in tremendous flight to horizon again but the span could not hold and in its wake the black night brooded and yet again broader stronger deeper lavishly spilling streamers to right and left it flaunted the midmost zenith with its gorgeous flare and passed on down to the further edge of the world heaven was bridged at last and the bridge endured at this flaming triumph the silence of earth was broken and ten thousand wolf-dogs in long-drawn unison howls sobbed their dismay and grief frona shivered and st vincent passed his arm about her waist the woman in her was aware of the touch of man and of a slight tingling thrill of vague delight but she made no resistance and as the wolf-dogs mourned at her feet and the aurora wantoned overhead she felt herself drawn against him closely need i tell my story he whispered she drooped her head in tired content on his shoulder and together they watched the burning vault wherein the stars dimmed and vanished ebbing flowing pulsing to some tremendous rhythm the prism colors hurled themselves in luminous deluge across the firmament then the canopy of heaven became a mighty loom wherein imperial purple and deep sea-green blended wove and interwove with blazing woof and flashing warp till the most delicate of tools fluorescent and bewildering was daintily and airily shaken in the face of the astonished night without warning the span was sundered by an arrogant arm of black the arch dissolved in blushing confusion chasms of blackness yawned grew and rushed together broken masses of strayed color and fading fire stole timidly towards the skyline then the dome of night towered imponderable immense and the stars came back one by one and the wolf-dogs mourned anew i can offer you so little dear the man said with a slightly perceptible bitterness the precarious fortunes of a gypsy wanderer and the woman placing his hand and pressing it against her heart said as a great woman had said before her a tent and a crust of bread with you richard end of chapter eighteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter nineteen of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter nineteen how ha was only an indian woman bred of a long line of fish-eating meat-rending carnivores and her ethics were as crude and simple as her blood but long contact with the whites had given her an insight into their way of looking at things and though she grunted contemptuously in her secret soul she none the less understood their way perfectly ten years previous she had cooked for jacob wells and served him in one fashion or another ever since and when on a dreary january morning she opened the front door in response to the deep-tongued knocker even her stolid presence was shaken as she recognized the visitor not that the average man or woman would have so recognized but how ha's faculties of observing and remembering details had been developed in a hard school where death dealt his blow to the lax and life saluted the vigilant how ha looked up and down the woman who stood before her through the heavy veil she could barely distinguish the flash of the eyes while the hood of the parka effectually concealed the hair 
and the parka proper the particular outlines of the body but ha paused and looked again there was something familiar in the vague general outline she quested back to the shrouded head again and knew the unmistakable poise then how ha's eyes went blear as she traversed the simple windings of her own brain inspecting the bare shelves taciturnly stored with the impressions of a meagre life no disorder no confused mingling of records no devious and interminable impress of complex emotions tangled theories and bewildering abstractions nothing but simple facts neatly classified and conveniently collated unerringly from the stores of the past she picked and chose and put together in the instant present till obscurity dropped from the woman before her and she knew her word and deed and look and history much better you go away quickety-quick how ha informed her miss wells i wish to see her the strange woman spoke in firm even tones which betokened the will behind but which failed to move how ha much better you go she repeated stolidly here take this to frona wells and ah would you thrusting her knee between the door and jam leave the door open how ha scowled but took the note for she could not shake off the grip of ten years of servitude to the superior race may i see you lucille so the note ran frona glanced up expectantly at the indian woman i'm kicked toes outside how ha explained me tell em go away quickety quick eh you tink yes i'm no good um no take her frona was thinking quickly no bring her up here much better go how ha grunted and yielded up the obedience she could not withhold though as she went down the stairs to the door in a tenebrous glimmering way she wondered that the accident of white skin or swart made master or servant as the case might be in the one sweep of vision lucile took in frona smiling with extended hand in the foreground the dainty dressing-table the simple finery the thousand girlish evidences and with the sweet wholesomeness of it pervading her nostrils her own girlhood rose up and smote her then she turned a bleak eye and cold ear on outward things i am glad you came frona was saying i have so wanted to see you again and-but do get that heavy parka off please how thick it is and what splendid fur and workmanship yes from siberia a present from st vincent lucile felt like adding but said instead the siberians have not yet learned to scamp their work you know she sank down into the low-seated rocker with a native grace which could not escape the beauty-loving eye of the girl and with proud poised head and silent tongue listened to frona as the minutes ticked away and observed with impersonal amusement frona's painful toil at making conversation what has she come for frona asked herself as she talked on furs and weather and indifferent things if you do not say something lucile i shall get nervous soon she ventured at last in desperation has anything happened lucile went over to the mirror and picked up among the trinkets beneath a tiny open-work miniature of frona this is you how old were you sixteen a sylph but a cold northern one the blood warms late with us frona reproved but is none the less warm for that lucile laughed and how old are you now twenty twenty lucile repeated slowly twenty and resumed her seat you are twenty and i am twenty-four so little difference as that 
but our blood warms early lucile voiced her reproach across the unfathomable gulf which four years could not plumb frona could hardly hide her vexation lucile went over and looked at the miniature again and returned what do you think of love she asked abruptly her face softening unheralded into a smile love the girl quavered yes love what do you know about it what do you think of it a flood of definitions glowing and rosy sped to her tongue but frona swept them aside and answered love is immolation very good sacrifice and now does it pay yes it pays of course it pays who can doubt it lucile's eyes twinkled amusedly why do you smile frona asked look at me frona lucile stood up and her face blazed i am twenty-four not altogether a fright not altogether a dunce i have a heart i have good red blood and warm i have loved i do not remember the pay i know only that i have paid and in the paying were paid frona took up warmly the price was the reward if love be fallible yet you have loved you have done you have served what more would you the whelpage love lucile sneered oh you are unfair i do you justice lucile insisted firmly you would tell me that you know that you have gone unveiled and seen clear-eyed that without placing more than lips to the brim you have divined the taste of the dregs and that the taste is good bah the whelpage love and oh frona i know you are full womanly and broad and lend no ear to little things but she tapped a slender finger to forehead it is all here it is a heady brew and you have smelled the fumes overmuch but drain the dregs turn down the glass and say that it is good no god forbid she cried passionately there are good loves you should find no masquerade but one fair and shining frona was up to her old trick their common one and her hand slid down lucile's arm till hand clasped in hand you say things which i feel are wrong yet may not answer i can but how dare i i dare not put mere thoughts against your facts i who have lived so little cannot in theory give the lie to you who have lived so much for he that lives more lives than one more lives than one must die from out of her pain lucile spoke the words of her pain and frona throwing arms about her sobbed on her breast in understanding as for lucile the slight nervous ingathering of the brows above her eyes smoothed out and she pressed the kiss of motherhood lightly and secretly on the other's hair for a space then the brows ingathered the lips drew firm and she put frona from her you are going to marry gregory st vincent frona was startled it was only a fortnight old and not a word had been breathed how do you know you have answered lucile watched frona's open face and the bold running advertisement and felt as the skilled fencer who fronts a tyro weak of wrist each opening naked to his hand how do i know she laughed harshly when a man leaves one's arms suddenly lips wet with last kisses and mouth a reek with last lies and and forgets the way back to those arms so the blood of the wells pounded up and like a hot sun dried the mists from her eyes and left them flashing and that is why you came i could have guessed it had i given second thought to dawson's gossip it is not too late lucile's lip curled and it is your way am i mindful what is it do you intend telling me what he has done and what he has been to you let me say that it is useless he is a man and you and i are women no lucile lied swallowing her astonishment 
i had not thought that any action of his would affect you i knew you were too great for that but have you considered me frona caught her breath for a moment then she straightened out her arms to hold the man in challenge to the arms of lucille your father over again lucille exclaimed oh you impossible wellses but he is not worthy of you frona wells she continued of me yes he is not a nice man a great man nor a good his love cannot match with yours bah he does not possess love passion of one sort and another is the best he may lay claim to that you do not want it is all at the best he can give you and you pray what may you give him yourself a prodigious waste but your father's yellow don't go on or i shall refuse to listen it is wrong of you so frona made her cease and then with bold inconsistency and what may the woman lucille give him some few wild moments was the prompt response a burning burst of happiness and the regrets of hell which latter he deserves as do i so the imbalance is maintained and all is well but but for there is a devil in him she held on a most alluring devil which delights me on my soul it does and which pray god frona you may never know for you have no devil mine matches his and mates i am free to confess that the whole thing is only an attraction there is nothing permanent about him nor about me and there's the beauty the balance is preserved frona lay back in her chair and lazily regarded her visitor lucile waited for her to speak it was very quiet well lucile at last demanded in a low curious tone at the same time rising to slip into her parka nothing i was only waiting i am done then let me say that i do not understand you frona summed up coldly i cannot somehow just catch your motive there is a flat ring to what you have said however of this i am sure for some unaccountable reason you have been untrue to yourself to-day do not ask me for as i said before i do not know where or how yet i am none the less convinced this i do know you are not the lucille i met by the wood trail across the river that was the true lucille little though i saw of her the woman who is here to-day is a strange woman i do not know her sometimes it has seemed she was lucille but rarely this woman has lied lied to me and lied to me about herself as to what she said of the man at the worst that is merely an opinion it may be she has lied about him likewise the chance is large that she has what do you think about it that you are a very clever girl frona that you speak sometimes more truly than you know and that at others you are blinder than you dream there is something i could love in you but you have hidden it away so that i cannot find it lucile's lips trembled on the verge of speech but she settled her parka about her and turned to go frona saw her to the door herself and Hauha pondered over the white who made the law and was greater than the law when the door had closed lucile spat into the street bah st vincent i have defiled my mouth with your name and she spat again come in at the summons matt mccarthy pulled the latch-string pushed the door open and closed it carefully behind him oh it is you st vincent regarded his visitor with dark abstraction then recollecting himself held out his hand why hello matt old man my mind was a thousand miles away when you entered take a stool and make yourself comfortable there's the tobacco by your hand take a try at it and give us your verdict and well may his mind be a thousand miles away matt assured himself for in the dark he had passed a woman on the trail who looked suspiciously like lucile 
but aloud sure and it's daydreaming you mane and small wonder how's that the correspondent asked cheerily by the same token that i met lucille down the trail a piece and the heels of her moccasins pointing to your shack it's a bitter tongue the jade slings on occasion matt chuckled that's the worst of it st vincent met him frankly a man looks sidewise at them for a passing moment and they demand that the moment be eternal off with the old love's a stiff proposition eh i should say so and you understand it's easy to see matt you've had some experience in your time in me time i'll have you know i'm not too old to still enjoy a bit of a fling certainly certainly one can read it in your eyes the warm heart and the roving eye matt he slapped his visitor on the shoulder with a hearty laugh and i've none the best of ye vincent tis a wicked lad ye are with a taken away with the ladies as plain as the nose on your face manny's the idle kiss ye've given and manny's the heart ye've broke but vincent why did ye ever know the rail thing how do you mean the rail thing the rail thing that is well have ye been ever a father st vincent shook his head and never have i but have ye felt the love of a father then i hardly know i don't think so well i have and it's the rail thing i'll tell you if ever a man suckled a child i did or the next door to it a girl child at that and she's woman grown now and if the thing is possible i love her more than her own blood father bad luck except in her there was never but one woman i loved and that woman had mated before time not a soul did i breathe a word to trust me nor even herself but she died god's love be with her his chin went down upon his chest and he quested back to a flaxen-haired saxon woman strayed like a bit of sunshine into the log store by the dyea river he looked up suddenly and caught st vincent's stare bent blankly to the floor as he mused on other things a truce to foolishness vincent the correspondent returned to himself with an effort and found the irishman's small blue eyes boring into him are ye a brave man vincent for a second space they searched each other's souls and in that space matt could have sworn he saw the faintest possible flicker or flutter in the man's eyes he brought his fist down on the table with a triumphant crash by god you're not the correspondent pulled the tobacco jug over to him and rolled a cigarette he rolled it carefully the delicate rice paper crisping in his hand without a tremor but all the while a red tide mounting up from beneath the collar of his shirt deepening in the hollows of the cheeks and thinning against the cheekbones above creeping spreading till all his face was aflame tis good and likely it saves me fingers a dirty daub vincent man the girl-child which is woman grown sleeps in dawson this night god help us you and me but we'll never hit again the pillow as clean and pure as she vincent a word to the wise you'll never lay holy hand or otherwise upon her the devil which lucile had proclaimed began to quicken a fuming fretting irrational devil i do not like ye i keep me raisins to myself it is sufficient but take this to heart and take it well should ye be mad enough to make her your wife if that damned day ye'll never see the ending nor lay i upon the bridal bed why man i could bait you to death with me two fists if need be but it's to be hoped i'll do a nater job rest aisy i promise ye you irish pig 
so the devil burst forth and all unaware for mccarthy found himself eye-high with the muzzle of a colt's revolver is it loaded he asked i believe ye but why are ye lingering lift the hammer will ye the correspondent's trigger finger moved and there was a warning click now pull it pull it i say as though ye could with that flutter to your eye st vincent attempted to turn his head aside look at me man mccarthy commanded keep your eyes on me when ye do it unwillingly the sideward movement was arrested and his eyes returned and met the irishman's now st vincent ground his teeth and pulled the trigger at least he thought he did as men think they do things in dreams he willed the deed flashed the order forth but the flutter of his soul stopped it tis paralyzed is it that shaky little finger matt grinned into the face of the tortured man now turn it aside so and drop it gently 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 his voice crooned away in soothing diminuendo when the trigger was safely down st vincent let the revolver fall from his hand and with a slight audible sigh sank nervelessly upon a stool he tried to straighten himself but instead dropped down upon the table and buried his face in his palsied hands matt drew on his mittens looking down upon him pityingly the while and went out closing the door softly behind him End of chapter nineteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter twenty where nature shows the rough hand the sons of men are apt to respond with kindred roughness the amenities of life spring up only in mellow lands where the sun is warm and the earth fat the damp and soggy climate of britain drives men to strong drink the rosy orient lures to the dream splendors of the lotus the big-bodied white-skinned northern dweller rude and ferocious bellows his anger uncouthly and drives a gross fist into the face of his foe the supple south sojourner soaken of smile and lazy of gesture waits and does his work from behind when no man looketh gracefully and without offence their ends are one the difference lies in their ways and therein the climate and the cumulative effect thereof is the determining factor both are sinners as men born of women have ever been but the one does his sin openly in the clear sight of god the other as though god could not see veils his iniquity with shimmering fancies hiding it like it were some splendid mystery these be the ways of men each as the sun shines upon him and the wind blows against him according to his kind and the seed of his father and the milk of his mother each is the resultant of many forces which go to make a pressure mightier than he which moulds him in the predestined shape but with sound legs under him he may run away and meet with a new pressure he may continue running each new pressure prodding him as he goes until he dies and his final form will be that predestined of the many pressures an exchange of cradle babes and the base-born slave may wear the purple imperially and the royal infant begs an alms as wheedlingly or cringe to the lash as abjectly as his meanest subject a chesterfield with an empty belly chancing upon good fare will gorge as faithfully as the swine in the next sty and an epicurus in the dirt igloo of the eskimos will wax eloquent over the whale oil and walrus blubber or die 
thus in the young northland frosty and grim and menacing men stripped off the sloth of the south and gave battle greatly and they stripped likewise much of the veneer of civilization all of its follies most of its foibles and perhaps a few of its virtues maybe so but they reserved the great traditions and at least lived frankly laughed honestly and looked one another in the eyes and so it is not well for women born south of fifty-three and reared gently to knock loosely about the northland unless they be great of heart they may be soft and tender and sensitive possessed of eyes which have not lost the lustre and the wonder and of ears used only to sweet sounds but if their philosophy is sane and stable large enough to understand and to forgive they will come to no harm and attain comprehension if not they will see things and hear things which hurt and they will suffer greatly and lose faith in man which is the greatest evil that may happen them such should be sedulously cherished and it were well to depute this to their menfolk the nearer of kin the better in line it were good policy to seek out a cabin on the hill overlooking dawson or best of all across the yukon on the western bank let them not move abroad unheralded and unaccompanied and the hillside back of the cabin may be recommended as a fit field for stretching muscles and breathing deeply a place where their ears may remain undefiled by the harsh words of men who strive to the utmost vance corliss wiped the last tin dish and filed it away on the shelf lighted his pipe and rolled over on his back on the bunk to contemplate the moss chinked roof of his french hill cabin this french hill cabin stood on the last dip of the hill into el dorado creek close to the main travelled trail and its one window blinked cheerily of nights at those who journeyed late the door was kicked open and del bishop staggered in with a load of firewood his breath had so settled on his face in a hard rhyme that he could not speak such a condition was ever a hardship with the man so he thrust his face forthwith into the quivering heat above the stove in a trice the frost was started in the thawed streamlets dancing madly on the white-hot surface beneath then the ice began to fall from his beard in chunks rattling on the lid tops and simmering spitefully till spurted upward in clouds of steam and so you witness an actual phenomenon illustrative of the three forms of matter vance laughed mimicking the monotonous tones of the demonstrator solid liquid and vapour in another moment you will have the gas that's all very well bishop sputtered wrestling with an obstructing piece of ice until it was wrenched from his upper lip and slammed stoveward with a bang how cold do you make it dell fifty fifty the pocket miner demanded with unutterable scorn wiping his face quicksilver's been solid for hours and it's been getting colder and colder ever since fifty i'll bet my new mittens against your old moccasins that it ain't a notch below seventy think so do you want to bet vance nodded laughingly centigrade or fahrenheit bishop asked suddenly suspicious oh well if you want my old moccasins so badly vance rejoined feigning to be hurt by the other's lack of faith why you can have them without betting dell snorted and flung himself down on the opposite bunk think you're funny don't you no answer forthcoming he deemed the retort conclusive rolled over and fell to studying the moss chinks fifteen minutes of this diversion sufficed play you a rubber of crib before bed he challenged across to the other bunk i'll go you 
corliss got up stretched and moved the kerosene lamp from the shelf to the table think it will hold out he asked surveying the oil level through the cheap glass bishop threw down the crib board and cards and measured the contents of the lamp with his eye forgot to fill it didn't i too late now do it tomorrow it'll last the rubber out sure corliss took up the cards but paused in the shuffling we've a big trip before us dell about a month from now the middle of march as near as i can plan it up the stewart river to mcquestion up mcquestion and back down again the mayo then across country to mazy may winding up at henderson creek on the indian river no corliss replied as he dealt the hands just below where the stewart taps the yukon and then back to dawson before the ice breaks the pocket miner's eyes sparkled keep us hustling but say it's a trip isn't it hunch i've received word from the parker outfit on the mayo and mcpherson isn't asleep on henderson you don't know him they're keeping quiet and of course one can't tell but bishop nodded his head sagely while corliss turned the trump he had cut a sure vision of a twenty-four hand was dazzling him when there was a sound of voices without and the door shook to a heavy knock come in he bawled and don't make such a row about it look at that to corliss at the same time facing his hand fifty-eight fifteen sixteen and eight are twenty-four just my luck corliss started swiftly to his feet bishop jerked his head about two women and a man had staggered clumsily in through the door and were standing just inside momentarily blinded by the light by all the prophets cornell the pocket miner wrung the man's hand and led him forward you recollect cornell corliss jake cornell thirty-seven and a half el dorado how could i forget the engineer acknowledged warmly shaking his hand that was a miserable night you put us up last fall about as miserable as the moose steak was good that you gave us for breakfast jake cornell hirsute and cadaverous of aspect nodded his head with emphasis and deposited a corpulent demijohn on the table again he nodded his head and glared wildly about him the stove caught his eye and he strode over to it lifted a lid and spat out a mouthful of amber-coloured juice another stride and he was back course i recollect the night he rumbled the ice clattering from his hairy jaws and i'm danged glad to see you that's a fact he seemed suddenly to remember himself and added a little sheepishly fact is we're all dang glad to see you ain't we girls he twisted his head about and nodded his companions up blanche my dear mr corliss it gives me it gives me pleasure to make you acquainted caribou blanche sir caribou blanche pleased to meet you caribou blanche put out a frank hand and looked him over keenly she was a fair-featured blondish woman originally not unpleasing of appearance but now with lines all deepened and hardened as on the faces of men who have endured much weather-beat congratulating himself upon his social proficiency jake cornell cleared his throat and marshalled the second woman to the front mr corliss the virgin i make you both acquainted <clears throat> in response to the query in vance's eyes yes the virgin that's all just the virgin she smiled and bowed but did not shake hands a toff was her secret comment upon the engineer and from her limited experience she had been led to understand that it was not good form among toffs to shake hands corliss fumbled his hand then bowed and looked at her curiously 
she was a pretty low-browed creature darkly pretty with a well-favoured body and for all the type was mean he could not escape the charm of her overbrimming vitality she seemed bursting with it and every quick spontaneous movement appeared to spring from very excess of red blood and superabundant energy pretty healthy proposition ain't she jake cornell demanded following his host's gaze with approval none of your gammon jake the virgin snapped back with lip curled contemptuously for vance's especial benefit i fancy it'd be more in keeping if you'd look to poor blanche there fact is we're plumb ding dong played out jake said and blanche went through the ice just down the trail and her feet's like to freezin blanche smiled as corliss piloted her to a stool by the fire and her stern mouth gave no indication of the pain she was suffering he turned away when the virgin addressed herself to removing the wet footgear while bishop went rummaging for socks and moccasins didn't go in more into the ankles cornell explained confidentially but that's plenty a night like this corliss agreed with a nod of the head spotted your light and <clears throat> so we came don't mind do you why certainly not no intrudin corliss reassured him by laying hand on his shoulder and cordially pressing him to a seat blanche sighed luxuriously her wet stockings were stretched up and already steaming and her feet basking in the capacious warmth of bishop's sea-wash socks vance shoved the tobacco canister across but cornell pulled out a handful of cigars and passed them around uncommon bad piece of trail just this side of the turn he remarked stentoriously at the same time flinging an eloquent glance at the demijohn ice rotten from the springs and no sign till you're into it turning to the woman by the stove how are you feeling blanche tony she responded stretching her body lazily and redisposing her feet though my legs ain't as limber as when we pulled out looking to his host for consent cornell tilted the demijohn over his arm and partly filled the four tin mugs in an empty jelly glass what's the matter with a toddy the virgin broke in or a punch got any lime juice she demanded of corliss you have jolly she directed her dark eyes towards dell ere you cookie trot out your mixing pan and sling the kettle for hot water come on all hands jake's treat and i'll show you how any sugar mr corliss and nutmeg cinnamon then okay it'll do lively now cookie ain't she a pate cornell confided to vance watching her with mellow eyes as she stirred the steaming brew but the virgin directed her attentions to the engineer don't mind him sir she advised he's more'n arf gorn already a-ittin the jug every blessed stop now my dear jake protested don't you my dear me she sniffed i don't like you why cause she ladled the punch carefully into the mugs and meditated cause you chew tobacco cause you're whiskery what i take to is smooth-faced young chaps don't take any stock in her nonsense the fraction king warned she just does it a purpose to get me mad now then she commanded sharply step up to your liquor here's ow what'll it be cried blanche from the stove the elevated mugs wavered and halted a queen god bless her the virgin toasted promptly and bill del bishop interrupted again the mugs wavered billoo the virgin asked suspiciously mckinley 
she favoured him with a smile thank you cookie you're a trump now here's a go gents take it standing the queen god bless her and bill mckinley bottoms up thundered jake cornell and the mugs smote the table with clanging rims according to frona he mused ironically this was learning life was adding to his sum of human generalizations the phrase was hers and he rolled it over a couple of times then again her engagement with st vincent crept into his thought and he charmed the virgin by asking her to sing but she was coy and only after bishop had rendered the several score stanzas of flying cloud did she comply her voice in a weekly way probably registered an octave and a half below that point it underwent strange metamorphoses while on the upper levels it was devious and rickety nevertheless she sang take back your gold with touching effect which brought a fiery moisture into the eyes of the fraction king who listened greedily for the time being experiencing unwanted ethical yearnings the applause was generous followed immediately by bishop who toasted the singer as the enchantress of bow bells to the reverberating bottoms up of jake cornell two hours later frona wells rapped it was a sharp insistent rap penetrating the din within and bringing corliss to the door she gave a glad little cry when she saw who it was oh it is you vance i didn't know you lived here he shook hands and blocked the doorway with his body behind him the virgin was laughing and jake cornell roaring oh cable this message along the track the prod's at westbury coming back put plenty of veal for one on the rack tra la 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 what is it vance questioned anything up i think you might ask me in there was a hint of reproach in frona's voice and of haste i blundered through the ice and my feet are freezing oh god in the exuberant tones of the virgin came whirling over vance's shoulder and the voices of blanche and bishop joining in a laugh against cornell and that worthy's vociferous protestations it seemed to him that all the blood of his body had rushed into his face but you can't come in frona don't you hear them but i must she insisted my feet are freezing with a gesture of resignation he stepped aside and closed the door after her coming suddenly in from the darkness she hesitated a moment but in that moment recovered her sight and took in the scene the air was thick with tobacco smoke and the odour of it in the close room was sickening to one fresh from the pure outside on the table a column of steam was ascending from the big mixing pan the virgin fleeing before cornell was defending herself with a long mustard spoon evading him and watching her chance she continually daubed his nose and cheeks with the yellow smear blanche had twisted about from the stove to see the fun and del bishop with a mug at rest halfway to his lips was applauding the successive strokes the faces of all were flushed vance leaned nervously against the door the whole situation seemed so unthinkably impossible an insane desire to laugh came over him which resolved itself into a coughing fit but frona realizing her own pressing need by the growing absence of sensation in her feet stepped forward hello del she called the mirth froze on his face at the familiar sound and he slowly and unwilling turned his head to meet her she had slipped the hood of her parka back and her face outlined against the dark fur rosy with the cold and bright was like a shaft of the sun shot into the murk of a boozing ken they all knew her for who did not know jacob wells's daughter the virgin dropped the mustard spoon with a startled shriek while cornell 
passing a dazed hand across his yellow markings and consummating the general smear collapsed on the nearest stool caribou blanche alone retained her self-possession and laughed softly bishop managed to articulate hello but was unable to stave off the silence which settled down frono waited a second and then said good evening all this way vance had recovered himself and seated her by the stove opposite blanche better get your things off quickly and be careful of the heat i'll see what i can find for you some cold water please she asked it will take the frost out dell will get it i hope it is not serious no she shook her head and smiled up to him at the same time working away at her ice-coated moccasins there hasn't been time for more than surface freezing at the worst the skin will peel off an unearthly silence brooded in the cabin broken only by bishop filling a basin from the water bucket and by corliss seeking out his smallest and daintiest house moccasins and his warmest socks frona rubbing her feet vigorously paused and looked up don't let me chill the festivities just because i'm cold she laughed please go on jake cornell straightened up and cleared his throat inanely and the virgin looked over dignified but blanche came over and took the towel out of frona's hands i wet my feet in the same place she said kneeling down and bringing a glow to the frosted feet i suppose you can manage some sort of fit with them here vance tossed over the house moccasins and woolen wrappings which the two women with low laughs and confidential undertones proceeded to utilize but what in the world were you doing on trail alone at this time of night vance asked in his heart he was marvelling at the coolness and pluck with which she was carrying off the situation i know beforehand that you will censure me she replied helping blanche arrange the wet gear over the fire i was at mrs stanton's but first you must know miss mortimer and i are staying at the pentley's for a week now to start fresh again i intended to leave mrs stanton's before dark but her baby got into the kerosene her husband had gone down to dawson and well we weren't sure of the baby up to half an hour ago she wouldn't hear of me returning alone but there was nothing to fear only i had not expected soft ice in such a snap how'd you fix the kid dell asked intent on keeping the talk going now that it had started chewing tobacco and when the laughter had subsided she went on there wasn't any mustard and it was the best i could think of besides mac mccarthy saved my life with it once down at dia when i had the croup but you were singing when i came in she suggested do go on jake cornell hawed prodigiously and i got done and you dell sing flying cloud as you used to coming down the river oh he has said the virgin then you sing i am sure you do she smiled into the virgin's eyes and that lady delivered herself of a coaster ballad with more art than she was aware the chill of frona's advent was quickly dissipated and song and toast and merriment went round again nor was frona above touching lips to the jelly glass in fellowship and she contributed her quota by singing annie laurie and ben bolt also but privily she watched the drink saturating the besotted souls of cornell and the virgin it was an experience and she was glad of it though sorry in a way for corliss who played the host lamely but he had little need of pity any other woman he said to himself a score of times looking at frona and trying to picture numerous women he had known by his mother's teapot knocking at the door and coming in as frona had done then again it was only yesterday that it would have hurt him blanche's rubbing her feet but now he gloried in frona's permitting it and his heart went out in a more kindly way to blanche 
perhaps it was the elevation of the liquor but he seemed to discover new virtues in her rugged face frona had put on her dried moccasins and risen to her feet and was listening patiently to jake cornell who hiccuped a last incoherent toast to the man he rumbled cavernously the man that made that made the blessed country volunteered the virgin true my dear to the man that made the blessed country to to jacob wells and the writer blanche cried to jacob wells's daughter ay standing and bottoms up oh she's a jolly good fellow dell led off the drink ruddying his cheek i'd like to shake hands with you just once blanche said in a low voice while the rest were chorusing frona slipped her mitten which she had already put on and the pressure was firm between them no she said to corliss who had put on his cap and was tying the ear-flaps blanche tells me the pentleys are only half a mile from here the trail is straight i'll not hear of any one accompanying me no this time she spoke so authoritatively that he tossed his cap into the bunk good-night all she called sweeping the roisterers with a smile but corliss saw her to the door and stepped outside she glanced up to him her hood was pulled only partly up and her face shone alluringly under the starlight i frona i wish don't be alarmed she whispered i'll not tell on you vance he saw the mocking glint in her eyes but tried to go on i wish to explain just how no need i understand but at the same time i must confess i do not particularly admire your taste frona the evident pain in his voice reached her oh you big foolish she laughed don't i know didn't blanche tell me she wet her feet corliss bowed his head truly frona you are the most consistent woman i ever met furthermore with a straightening of his form and a dominant assertion in his voice this is not the last she tried to stop him but he continued i feel i know that things will turn out differently to fling your own words back at you all the factors have not been taken into consideration as for st vincent i'll have you yet for that matter now could not be too soon he flashed out hungry arms to her but she read quicker than he moved and laughing eluded him and ran lightly down the trail come back frona come back he called i am sorry no you're not came the answer and i'd be sorry if you were good night he watched her merge into the shadows then entered the cabin he had utterly forgotten the scene within and at first glance it startled him caribou blanche was crying softly to herself her eyes were luminous and moist and as he looked a lone tear stole down her cheek bishop's face had gone serious the virgin had sprawled head and shoulders on the table amid overturned mugs and dripping lees and cornell was titubating over her hiccuping and repeating vacuously you're all right my dear you're all right but the virgin was inconsolable oh god when i think on what is and was and no fault of mine no fault of mine i tell you she shrieked with quick fierceness how was i born i asked what was my old man a drunk a chronic and my old woman talk of white chapel who give a cent for me or how i was dragged up who cared a rap i say who cared a rap a sudden revulsion came over corliss hold your tongue he ordered the virgin raised her head her loosened hair streaming about her like a fury's what is she she sneered sweetheart corliss whirled upon her savagely face white and voice shaking with passion the virgin cowered down and instinctively threw up her hands to protect her face 
don't hit me sir she whined don't hit me he was frightened at himself and waited till he could gather control now he said calmly get into your things and go all of you clear out vamoose you're no man you ain't the virgin snarled discovering that physical assault was not imminent but corliss herded her particularly to the door and gave no heed a turning ladies out she sniffed with a stumble over the threshold no offence jake cornell muttered pacifically no offence good night sorry corliss said to blanche with the shadow of a forgiving smile as she passed out you're tough that's what you are a bloomin tough the virgin howled back as he shut the door he looked blankly at del bishop and surveyed the sodden confusion on the table then he walked over and threw himself down on his bunk bishop leaned an elbow on the table and pulled at his wheezy pipe the lamp smoked flickered and went out but still he remained filling his pipe again and again and striking endless matches del are you awake corliss called at last del grunted i was a cur to turn them all out into the snow i am ashamed sure was the affirmation a long silence followed del knocked the ashes out and raised up sleep he called there was no reply and he walked to the bunk softly and pulled the blankets over the engineer end of chapter twenty read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com Chapter Twenty One of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Twenty One. Yes, what does it all mean? Corliss stretched lazily and cocked up his feet on the table. He was not especially interested, but Colonel Trethaway persisted in talking seriously that's it the very thing the old and ever young demand which man slaps into the face of the universe the colonel searched among the scraps in his notebook see holding up a soiled slip of typed paper i copied this out years ago listen what a monstrous spectre is this man this disease of the agglutinated dust lifting alternate feet or lying drugged with slumber killing feeding growing bringing forth small copies of himself grown up with hair like grass fitted with eyes that glitter in his face a thing to set children screaming poor soul here for so little cast among so many hardships filled with desires so incommensurate and so inconsistent savagely surrounded savagely descended irremediably condemned to prey upon his fellow lives infinitely childish often admirably valiant often touchingly kind sitting down to debate of right or wrong and the attributes of the deity rising up to battle for an egg or die for an idea and all to what end he demanded hotly throwing down the paper this disease of the agglutinated dust corliss yawned in reply he had been on trail all day and was yearning for between blankets here am i colonel trethaway modestly along in years fairly well preserved a place in the community a comfortable bank account no need to ever exert myself again yet enduring life bleakly and working ridiculously with a zest worthy of a man half my years and to what end i can only eat so much smoke so much sleep so much 
and this tail-dump of earth men call alaska is the worst of all possible places in the matter of grub tobacco and blankets but it is the living strenuously which holds you corliss interjected frona's philosophy the colonel sneered and my philosophy and yours and of the agglutinated dust which is quickened with a passion you do not take into account the passion of duty of race of god and the compensation trethaway demanded each breath you draw the mayfly lives an hour i don't see it blood and sweat blood and sweat you cried that after the rough and tumble in the opera house and every word of it was receipt in full frona's philosophy and yours and mine the colonel threw up his shoulders and after a pause confessed you see try as i will i can't make a pessimist out of myself we are all compensated and i more fully than most men what end i asked and the answer forth came since the ultimate end is beyond us than the immediate more compensation here and now quite hedonistic and rational i shall look at it at once i can buy grub and blankets for a score i can eat and sleep for only one ergo why not for two corliss took his feet down and sat up in other words i shall get married and give the community a shock communities like shocks that's one of their compensations for being agglutinative i can't think of but one woman corliss essayed tentatively putting out his hand trethaway took it slowly it is she corliss let go and misgiving shot into his face but st vincent is your problem not mine then lucille certainly not she played a quixotic little game of her own and botched it beautifully i-i do not understand corliss brushed his brows in a dazed sort of way trethaway parted his lips in a superior smile it is not necessary that you should the question is will you stand up with me surely but what a confoundedly long way around you took it is not your usual method nor was it with her the colonel declared twisting his moustache proudly a captain of the northwest mounted police by virtue of his magisterial office may perform marriages in time of stress as well as execute exemplary justice so captain alexander received a call from colonel trethaway and after he left jotted down an engagement for the next morning then the impending groom went to see frona lucile did not make the request he hastened to explain but well the fact was she did not know any women and furthermore he the colonel knew whom lucile would like to ask did she dare so he did it upon his own responsibility and coming as a surprise he knew it would be a great joy to her frona was taken aback by the suddenness of it only the other day it was that lucile had made a plea to her for st vincent and now it was colonel trethaway true there had been a false quantity somewhere but now it seemed doubly false could it be after all that lucile was mercenary these thoughts crowded upon her swiftly with the colonel anxiously watching her face the while she knew she must answer quickly yet was distracted by an involuntary admiration for his bravery so she followed perforce the lead of her heart and consented yet the whole thing was rather strained when the four of them came together next day in captain alexander's private office there was a gloomy chill about it lucile seemed ready to cry and showed a repressed perturbation quite unexpected of her 
while try as she would frona could not call upon her usual sympathy to drive away the coldness which obtruded intangibly between them this in turn had a consequent effect on vance and gave a certain distance to his manner which forced him out of touch even with the colonel colonel trethaway seemed to have thrown twenty years off his erect shoulders and the discrepancy in the match which frona had felt vanished as she looked at him he has lived the years well she thought and prompted mysteriously almost with vague apprehension she turned her eyes to corliss but if the groom had thrown off twenty years vance was not a whit behind since their last meeting he had sacrificed his brown moustache to the frost and his smooth face smitten with health and vigour looked uncommonly boyish and yet withal the naked upper lip advertised a stiffness and resolution hitherto concealed furthermore his features portrayed a growth and his eyes which had been softly firm were now firm with the added harshness or hardness which is bred of coping with things and coping quickly the stamp of executiveness which is pressed upon men who do and upon all men who do whether they drive dogs buck the sea or dictate the policies of empires when the simple ceremony was over frona kissed lucile but lucile felt that there was a subtle something wanting and her eyes filled with unshed tears trethaway who had felt the aloofness from the start caught an opportunity with frona while captain alexander and corliss were being pleasant to mrs trethaway what's the matter frona the colonel demanded bluntly i hope you did not come under protest i am sorry not for you because the lack of frankness deserves nothing but for lucile it is not fair to her there has been a lack of frankness throughout her voice trembled i tried my best i thought i could do better but i cannot feign what i do not feel i am sorry but i i am disappointed no i cannot explain and to you least of all let's be above board frona st vincent's concerned she nodded and i can put my hand right on the spot first place he looked to the side and saw lucile stealing an anxious glance to him first place only the other day she gave you a song about st vincent second place and therefore you think her heart's not in this present proposition that she doesn't care a rap for me in short that she's marrying me for reinstatement and spoils isn't that it and isn't it enough oh i am disappointed colonel trethaway grievously in her in you in myself don't be a fool i like you too well to see you make yourself one the play's been too quick that is all your eye lost it listen we've kept it quiet but she's in with the elect on french hill her claims prospected the richest of the outfit present indication half a million at least in her own name no strings attached couldn't she take that and go anywhere in the world and reinstate herself and for that matter you might presume that i am marrying her for spoils frona she cares for me and in your ear she's too good for me my hope is that the future will make up but never mind that haven't got the time now you consider her affection sudden eh let me tell you we've been growing into each other from the time i came into the country and with our eyes open st vincent pshaw i knew it all the time she got it into her head that the whole of him wasn't worth a little finger of you and she tried to break things up you'll never know how she worked with him i told her she didn't know the wells and she said so too after so there it is take it or leave it well what do you think about st vincent what i think is neither here nor there but i'll tell you honestly that i back her judgment but that's not the point what are you going to do about it about her now she did not answer but went back to the waiting group 
lucile saw her coming and watched her face he's been telling you that i am a fool frona answered and i think i am and with a smile i take it on faith that i am anyway i i can't reason it out just now but captain alexander discovered a prenuptial joke just about then and led the way over to the stove to crack it upon the colonel and vance went along to see fair play it's the first time lucile was saying and it means more to me so much more more than to most women i am afraid it is a terrible thing for me to do but i do love him i do and when the joke had been duly digested and they came back she was sobbing dear dear frona it was just the moment better than he could have chosen and captain mitten without knocking jacob wells came in the uninvited guest was his greeting is it all over so and he swallowed lucile up in his huge bearskin colonel your hand and your pardon for my intruding and your regrets for not giving me the word come out with them hello corliss captain alexander a good day what have i done frona wailed received the bear hug and managed to press his hand till it almost hurt had to back the game he whispered and this time his hand did hurt now colonel i don't know what your plans are and i don't care call them off i've got a little spread down to the house and the only honest case of champagne this side of circle of course you're coming corliss and his eye roved past captain alexander with hardly a pause of course came the answer like a flash though the chief magistrate of the northwest had time to canvass the possible results of such unofficial action got a hack jacob wells laughed and held up a moccasined foot walking be chucked the captain started impulsively towards the door i'll have the sleds up before you're ready three of them and bells galore so trethaway's forecast was correct and dawson vindicated its agglutinativeness by rubbing its eyes when three sleds with three scarlet tuniced policemen swinging the whips tore down its main street and it rubbed its eyes again when it saw the occupants thereof we shall live quietly lucile told frona the klondike is not all the world and the best is yet to come but jacob wells said otherwise we've got to make this thing go he said to captain alexander and captain alexander said that he was unaccustomed to backing out mrs scoville emitted preliminary thunders marshalled the other women and became chronically seismic and unsafe lucile went nowhere save to frona's but jacob wells who rarely went anywhere was often to be found by colonel trethaway's fireside and not only was he to be found there but he usually brought somebody along anything on hand this evening he was wont to say on casual meeting no then come along with me sometimes he said it with lamb-like innocence sometimes with a challenge brooding under his bushy brows and rarely did he fail to get his man these men had wives and thus were the germs of dissolution sown in the ranks of the opposition then again at colonel trethaway's there was something to be found besides weak tea and small talk and the correspondents engineers and gentlemen rovers kept the trail well packed in that direction though it was the king's to a man who first broke the way so the trethaway cabin became the centre of things and backed commercially financially and officially it could not fail to succeed socially the only bad effect of all this was to make the lives of mrs scoville and divers others of her sex more monotonous and to cause them to lose faith in certain hoary and inconsequent maxims furthermore captain alexander as highest official was a power in the land and jacob wells was the company 
and there was a superstition extant concerning the unwisdom of being on indifferent terms with the company and the time was not long till probably a bare half-dozen remained in outer cold and they were considered a warped lot anyway end of chapter twenty one read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty two of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter twenty two quite an exodus took place in dawson in the spring men because they had made stakes and other men because they had made none bought up the available dogs and rushed out for dia over the last ice incidentally it was discovered that dave harney possessed most of these dogs going out jacob wells asked him on a day when the meridian sun for the first time felt faintly warm to the naked skin well i calculate not i'm clearing three dollars a pair on the moccasins i cornered to say nothing but sawwood on the boots say wells not that my nose is out of joint but you just cinched me everlasting on sugar didn't you jacob wells smiled and by the jim cracky i'm squared got any rubber boots no went out of stock early in the winter dave snickered slowly and i'm the particular party that hocus pocus them not you i gave special orders to the clerks they weren't sold in lots no more they want one man to the pair and one pair to the man and a couple of hundred of them but it was my dust they chucked onto the scales and nobody else's drink don't mind easy put up your sack call it rebate for i can afford it going out not this year i guess wash-ups coming a strike on henderson in the middle of april which promised to be sensational drew st vincent to stewart river and a little later jacob wells interested on gallagher gulch and with an eye riveted on the copper mines of white river went up into the same district and with him went frona for it was more vacation than business in the meantime corliss and bishop who had been on trail for a month or more running over the mayo and mcquestion country rounded up on the left fork of henderson where a block of claims waited to be surveyed but by may spring was so far advanced that travel on the creeks became perilous and on the last of the thawing ice the miners travelled down to the bunch of islands below the mouth of the stewart where they went into temporary quarters or crowded the hospitality of those who possessed cabins corliss and bishop located on split-up island so-called through the habit parties from the outside had of dividing there and going several ways where tommy mcpherson was comfortably situated a couple of days later jacob wells and frona arrived from a hazardous trip out of white river and pitched tent on the high ground at the upper end of split-up a few chicacos the first of the spring rush strung in exhausted and went into camp against the breaking of the river also there were still men going out who barred by the rotten ice came ashore to build pulling boats and await the break-up or to negotiate with the residents for canoes notably among these was the baron cooberton ah oh, excruciating magnificent is it not so frona first ran across him on the following day what she asked giving him her hand you you doffing his cap it is delight i am sure she began no no he shook his curly mop warmly 
it is not you see he turned to a peterborough for which mcpherson had just mulcted him of thrice its value the canoe is it not not what you yankees call a butte oh the canoe she repeated with a failing inflection of chagrin no no pardon he stamped angrily upon the ground it is not so it is not you it is not the canoe it is ah uh, i have it now it is your promise one day do you not remember at madame scoville's we talked of the canoe and of my ignorance which was sad and you promised you said i would give you your first lesson and is it not delightful listen do you not hear the rippling ah the rippling deep down at the heart of things soon will the water run free here is the canoe here we meet the first lesson delightful delightful the next island below split up was known as roubaud's island and was separated from the former by a narrow back channel here when the bottom had about dropped out of the trail and with dogs swimming as often as not arrived st vincent the last man to travel the winter trail he went into the cabin of john borg a taciturn gloomy individual prone to segregate himself from his kind it was the mischance of st vincent's life that of all cabins he chose borg's for an abiding place against the break-up all right the man said when questioned by him throw your blankets into the corner bellow clear the litter out of the spare bunk not till evening did he speak again and then you're big enough to do your own cooking when the woman's done with the stove you can fire away the woman or bella was a comely indian girl young and the prettiest st vincent had run across instead of the customary greased swarthiness of the race her skin was clear and of a light bronze tone and her features less harsh more felicitously curved than those common to the blood after supper borg both elbows on table and huge misshapen hands supporting chin and jaws sat puffing stinking sea-wash tobacco and staring straight before him it would have seemed ruminative the stare had his eyes been softer or had he blinked as it was his face was set and trance-like have you been in the country long st vincent asked endeavouring to make conversation borg turned his sullen black eyes upon him and seemed to look into him and through him and beyond him and still regarding him to have forgotten all about him it was as though he pondered some great and weighty matter probably his sins the correspondent mused nervously rolling himself a cigarette when the yellow cube had dissipated itself in curling fragrance and he was deliberating about rolling a second borg suddenly spoke fifteen years he said and returned to his tremendous cogitation thereat and for half an hour thereafter st vincent fascinated studied his inscrutable countenance to begin with it was a massive head abnormal and top-heavy and its only excuse for being was the huge bull throat which supported it it had been cast in a mould of elemental generousness and everything about it partook of the asymmetrical crudeness of the elemental the hair rank of growth thick and unkempt matted itself here and there into curious splotches of grey and again grinning at age twisted itself into curling locks of lustreless black locks of unusual thickness like crooked fingers heavy and solid the shaggy whiskers almost bare in places and in others massing into bunch-grass like clumps were plentifully splashed with grey they rioted monstrously over his face and fell raggedly to his chest but failed to hide the great hollowed cheeks or the twisted mouth 
the latter was thin-lipped and cruel but cruel only in a passionless sort of way but the forehead was the anomaly the anomaly required to complete the irregularity of the face for it was a perfect forehead full and broad and rising superbly strong to its high dome it was as the seat and bulwark of some vast intelligence omniscience might have brooded there bella washing the dishes and placing them away on the shelf behind borg's back dropped a heavy tin cup the cabin was very still and the sharp rattle came without warning on the instant with a brute roar the chair was overturned and borg was on his feet eyes blazing and face convulsed bella gave an inarticulate animal-like cry of fear and cowered at his feet st vincent felt his hair bristling and an uncanny chill like a jet of cold air played up and down his spine then borg righted the chair and sank back into his old position chin on hands and brooding ponderously not a word was spoken and bella went on unconcernedly with the dishes while st vincent rolled a shaky cigarette and wondered if it had been a dream jacob wells laughed when the correspondent told him just his way he said for his ways are like his looks unusual he's an unsociable beast been in the country more years than he can number acquaintances truth to say i don't think he has a friend in all alaska not even among the indians and he's chummed thick with them off and on johnny sorehead they call him but it might as well be johnny Breakemhead, for he's got a quick temper and a rough hand temper some little misunderstanding popped up between him and the agent at arctic city he was in the right too agent's mistake but he tabooed the company on the spot and lived on straight meat for a year then i happened to run across him at tanana station and after due explanations he consented to buy from us again got the girl from up the headwaters of the white bill brown told st vincent wells thinks he's pioneering in that direction but borg could give him cards and spades on it and then went out he's been over the ground years ago yes strange sort of chap wouldn't hanker to be bunkmates with him but st vincent did not mind the eccentricities of the man for he spent most of his time on split-up island with frona and the baron one day however and innocently he ran foul of him two swedes hunting tree squirrels from the other end of rubeau island had stopped to ask for matches and to yarn a while in the warm sunshine of the clearing st vincent and borg were accommodating them the latter for the most part in meditative monosyllables just to the rear by the cabin door bella was washing clothes the tub was a cumbersome homemade affair and half full of water was more than a match for an ordinary woman the correspondent noticed her struggling with it and stepped back quickly to her aid with the tub between them they proceeded to carry it to one side in order to dump it where the ground drained from the cabin st vincent slipped in the thawing snow and the soapy water splashed up then bella slipped and then they both slipped bella giggled and laughed and st vincent laughed back the spring was in the air and in their blood and it was very good to be alive only a wintry heart could deny a smile on such a day bella slipped again tried to recover slipped with the other foot and sat down abruptly laughing gleefully both of them the correspondent caught her hands to pull her to her feet with a bound and a bellow borg was upon them their hands were torn apart and st vincent thrust heavily backward he staggered for a couple of yards and almost fell then the scene of the cabin was repeated bella cowered and groveled in the muck and her lord towered wrathfully over her look you he said in stifled gutturals turning to st vincent 
you sleep in my cabin and you cook that is enough let my woman alone things went on after that as though nothing had happened st vincent gave bella a wide berth and seemed to have forgotten her existence but the swedes went back to their end of the island laughing at the trivial happening which was destined to be significant end of chapter twenty two read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com Chapter twenty three of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter twenty three. Spring, smiting with soft, warm hands, had come like a miracle, and now lingered for a dreamy spell before bursting into full blown summer. The snow had left the bottoms and valleys and nestled only on the north slopes of the ice scarred ridges the glacial drip was already in evidence in every creek and roaring spate each day the sun rose earlier and stayed later it was now chill day by three o'clock and mellow twilight at noon soon a golden circle would be drawn around the sky and deep midnight become bright as high noon the willows and aspens had long since budded and were now decking themselves in liveries of fresh young green and the sap was rising in the pines mother nature had heaved her waking sigh and gone about her brief business crickets sang of nights in the stilly cabins and in the sunshine mosquitoes crept from out hollow logs and snug crevices among the rocks big noisy harmless fellows that had procreated the year gone lain frozen through the winter and were now rejuvenated to buzz through swift senility to second death all sorts of creeping crawling fluttering life came forth from the warming earth and hastened to mature reproduce and cease just a breath of balmy air and then the long cold frost again ah they knew it well and lost no time sand martins were driving their ancient tunnels into the soft clay banks and robins singing on the spruce garbed islands overhead the woodpecker knocked insistently and in the forest depths the partridge boom boomed and strutted in virile glory but in all this nervous haste the yukon took no part for many a thousand miles it lay cold unsmiling dead wild fowl driving up from the south in wind-jamming wedges halted looking vainly for open water and quested dauntlessly on into the north from bank to bank stretched the savage ice here and there the water burst through and flooded over but in the chill nights froze solidly as ever tradition has it that of old time the yukon lay unbroken through three long summers and on the face of it there be traditions less easy of belief so summer waited for open water and the tardy yukon took to stretching of days and cracking its stiff joints now an air-hole ate into the ice and ate and ate or a fissure formed and grew and failed to freeze again then the ice rippled from the shore and uprose bodily a yard but still the river was loth to loose its grip it was a slow travail and man used to nursing nature with pygmy skill able to burst water-spouts and harness waterfalls could avail nothing against the billions of frigid tons which refused to run down the hill to bering sea on split-up island all were ready for the break-up waterways have ever been first highways and the yukon was the sole highway in all the land 
so those bound up river pitched their poling boats and shod their poles with iron and those bound down caulked their scows and barges and shaped spare sweeps with axe and drawing knife jacob wells loafed and joyed in the utter cessation from work and frona joyed with him in that it was good but baron curbertin was in a fever at the delay his hot blood grew riotous after the long hibernation and the warm sunshine dazzled him with warmer fancies oh oh it will never break never and he stood gazing at the surly ice and raining politely phrased anathema upon it it is a conspiracy poor la bijou a conspiracy he caressed la bijou like it were a horse for so he had christened the glistening peterborough canoe frona and st vincent laughed and preached him the gospel of patience which he proceeded to tuck away into the deepest abysses of perdition till interrupted by jacob wells look carberton over there south of the bluff do you make out anything moving yes a dog it moves too slowly for a dog frona get the glasses corberton and st vincent sprang after them but the latter knew their abiding place and returned triumphant jacob wells put the binoculars to his eyes and gazed steadily across the river it was a sheer mile from the island to the farther bank and the sun glare on the ice was a sore task to the vision it is a man he passed the glasses to the baron and strained absently with his naked eyes and something is up he creeps the baron exclaimed the man creeps he crawls on hand and knee look see he thrust the glasses tremblingly into frona's hands looking across the void of shimmering white it was difficult to discern a dark object of such size when dimly outlined against an equally dark background of brush and earth but frona could make the man out with fair distinctness and as she grew accustomed to the strain she could distinguish each movement and especially so when he came to a wind-thrown pine she watched painfully twice after tortuous efforts squirming and twisting he failed in breasting the big trunk and on the third attempt after infinite exertion he cleared it only to topple helplessly forward and fall on his face in the tangled undergrowth it is a man she turned the glasses over to st vincent and he is crawling feebly he fell just then this side of the log does he move jacob wells asked and on a shake of st vincent's head brought his rifle from the tent he fired six shots skyward in rapid succession he moves the correspondent followed him closely he is crawling to the bank ah no one moment yes he lies on the ground and raises his hat or something on a stick he is waving it jacob wells fired six more shots he waves again now he has dropped it and lies quite still all three looked inquiringly to jacob wells he shrugged his shoulders how should i know a white man or an indian starvation most likely or else he is injured but he may be dying frona pleaded as though her father who had done most things could do all things we can do nothing ah terrible terrible the baron wrung his hands before our very eyes and we can do nothing no he exclaimed with swift resolution it shall not be i will cross the ice he would have started precipitately down the bank had not jacob wells caught his arm not such a rush baron keep your head but but nothing does the man want food or medicine or what wait a moment we will try it together count me in st vincent volunteered promptly and frona's eyes sparkled while she made up a bundle of food in the tent the men provided and rigged themselves with sixty or seventy feet of light rope 
Jacob Wells and St. Vincent made themselves fast to it at either end, and the Baron in the middle. He claimed the food as his portion and strapped it to his broad shoulders. Frona watched their progress from the bank. The first hundred yards were easy going, but she noticed at once the change when they had passed the limit of the fairly solid shore ice. Her father led sturdily, feeling ahead and to the side with his staff and changing direction continually. St. Vincent at the rear of the extended line was the first to go through, but he fell with the pole thrust deftly across the opening and resting on the ice. His head did not go under, though the current sucked powerfully, and the two men dragged him out after a sharp pull. Frona saw them consult together for a minute, with much pointing and gesticulating on the part of the baron, and then St. Vincent detached himself and turned shoreward. <sighs> he shivered, coming up the bank to her. "'It's impossible.' "'But why didn't they come in?' she asked, a slight note of displeasure manifest in her voice. "'Said they were going to make one more try, first. That Corbettin is hot-headed, you know. And my father just as bull-headed,' she smiled. "'But hadn't you better change? There are spare things in the tent.' "'Oh, no,' he threw himself down beside her. "'It's warm in the sun.' For an hour they watched the two men, who had become mere specks of black in the distance, for they had managed to gain the middle of the river, and at the same time had worked nearly a mile upstream. Frona followed them closely with the glasses, though often they were lost to sight behind the ice ridges. "'It was unfair of them,' she heard St. Vincent complain, "'to say they were only going to have one more try. Otherwise I should not have turned back. Yet they can't make it absolutely impossible.' "'Yes. No.' yes they're turning back she announced but listen what is that a hoarse rumble like distant thunder rose from the midst of the ice she sprang to her feet gregory the river can't be breaking no no surely not see it is gone the noise which had come from above had died away downstream but there there another rumble hoarser and more ominous than before lifted itself and hushed the robins and the squirrels when abreast of them it sounded like a railroad train on a distant trestle. A third rumble, which approached a roar and was of greater duration, began from above and passed by. Oh, why don't they hurry? The two specks had stopped, evidently in conversation. She ran the glasses hastily up and down the river. Though another roar had risen, she could make out no commotion. The ice lay still and motionless. The robins resumed their singing, and the squirrels were chattering with spiteful glee. "'Don't fear, Frona,' St. Vincent put his arm about her protectingly. "'If there is any danger, they know it better than we, and they are taking their time.' "'I never saw a big river break up,' she confessed, and resigned herself to the waiting. The roars rose and fell sporadically, but there were no other signs of disruption, and gradually the two men, with frequent duckings, worked inshore. The water was streaming from them, and they were shivering severely as they came up the bank. "'At last!' Frona had both her father's hands in hers. I thought you would never come back. There, there, run and get dinner, Jacob Wells laughed. There was no danger. But what was it? Stewart's River's broken and sending its ice down under the Yukon ice. We could hear the grinding plainly out there. Ah, and it was terrible, terrible, cried the baron. And that poor, poor man, we cannot save him. Yes, we can. We'll have a try with the dogs after dinner. Hurry, Frona but the dogs were a failure. Jacob Wells picked out the leaders as the more intelligent, and with grub-packs on them drove them out from the bank. They could not grasp what was demanded of them. 
whenever they tried to return they were driven back with sticks and clods and imprecations this only bewildered them and they retreated out of range whence they raised their wet cold paws and whined pitifully to the shore if they could only make it once they would understand and then it would go like clockwork ah would you go on chook miriam chook the thing is to get the first one across jacob wells finally succeeded in getting miriam lead dog to frona's team to take the trail left by him and the baron the dog went on bravely scrambling over floundering through and sometimes swimming but when she had gained the farthest point reached by them she sat down helplessly later on she cut back to the shore at a tangent landing on the deserted island above and an hour afterwards trotted into camp minus the grub pack then the two dogs hovering just out of range compromised matters by devouring each other's burdens after which the attempt was given over and they were called in during the afternoon the noise increased in frequency and by nightfall was continuous but by morning it had ceased utterly the river had risen eight feet and in many places was running over its crust much cracking and splitting were going on and fissures leaping into life and multiplying in all directions the undertow ice has jammed below among the islands jacob wells explained that's what caused the rise then again it has jammed at the mouth of the steward and is backing up when that breaks through it will go down underneath and stick on the lower jam and then and then the baron exulted la bijou will swim again as the light grew stronger they searched for the man across the river he had not moved but in response to their rifle shots waved feebly nothing for it till the river breaks baron and then a dash with la bijou st vincent you had better bring your blankets up and sleep here to-night we'll need three paddles and i think we can get mcpherson no need the correspondent hastened to reply the back channel is like adamant and i'll be up by daybreak but i why not baron curberton demanded frona laughed remember we haven't given you your first lessons yet and there'll hardly be time to-morrow jacob wells added when she goes she goes with a rush st vincent mcpherson and i will have to make the crew i'm afraid sorry baron stay with us another year and you'll be fit but baron curberton was inconsolable and sulked for a full half hour end of chapter twenty three read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty four of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter twenty four awake you dreamers wake frona was out of her sleeping furs at dell bishop's first call but ere she had slipped a skirt on and bare feet into moccasins her father beyond the blanket curtain had thrown back the flaps of the tent and stumbled out the river was up in the chill gray light she could see the ice rubbing softly against the very crest of the bank it even topped it in places and the huge cakes worked inshore many feet a hundred yards out the white field merged into the dim dawn and the gray sky subdued splits and splutters whispered from out the obscureness and a gentle grinding could be heard when will it go she asked of dell not a bit too lively for us see there he pointed with his toe to the water lapping out from under the ice and creeping greedily towards them a foot rise every ten minutes danger he scoffed not on your life it's got to go 
them islands waving his hand indefinitely down river can't hold up under more pressure if they don't let go the ice the ice'll scour them clean out of the bed of the yukon sure but i've got to be chasin back lower ground down our way fifteen inches on the cabin floor and mcpherson and corliss hustlin perishables into the bunks tell mcpherson to be ready for a call jacob wells shouted after him and then to frona now's the time for st vincent to cross the back channel the baron shivering barefooted pulled out his watch ten minutes to three he chattered hadn't you better go back and get your moccasins frona asked there will be time and miss the magnificence hark from nowhere in particular a slow brisk crackling arose then died away the ice was in motion slowly very slowly it proceeded downstream there was no commotion no ear-splitting thunder no splendid display of force simply a silent flood of white an orderly procession of tight-packed ice packed so closely that not a drop of water was in evidence it was there somewhere down underneath but it had to be taken on faith there was a dull hum or muffled grating but so low in pitch that the ear strained to catch it ah where is the magnificence it is a fake the baron shook his fists angrily at the river and jacob wells's thick brows seemed to draw down in order to hide the grim smile in his eyes ha ha i laugh i snap my fingers see i defy as the challenge left his lips baron curberton stepped upon a cake which rubbed lightly past at his feet so unexpected was it that when jacob wells reached after him he was gone the ice was picking up in momentum and the hum growing louder and more threatening balancing gracefully like a circus rider the frenchman whirled away along the rim of the bank fifty precarious feet he rode his mount becoming more unstable every instant and he leaped neatly to the shore he came back laughing and received for his pains two or three of the choicest phrases jacob wells could select from the essentially masculine portion of his vocabulary and for why herberton demanded stung to the quick for why jacob wells mimicked wrathfully pointing into the sleek stream sliding by a great cake had driven its nose into the bed of the river thirty feet below and was struggling to upend all the frigid flood behind crinkled and bent back like so much paper then the stalled cake turned completely over and thrust its muddy nose skyward but the squeeze caught it while cake mounted cake at its back and its fifty feet of muck and gouge were hurled into the air it crashed upon the moving mass beneath and flying fragments landed at the feet of those that watched caught broadside in a chaos of pressures it crumbled into scattered pieces and disappeared god the baron spoke the word reverently and with awe frona caught his hand on the one side and her father's on the other the ice was now leaping past in feverish haste somewhere below a heavy cake butted into the bank and the ground swayed under their feet another followed it nearer the surface and as they sprang back upreared mightily and with a ton or so of soil on its broad back bowled insolently onward and yet another reaching inshore like a huge hand ripped three careless pines out by the roots and bore them away they had broken and the driving white gorged the yukon from shore to shore what of the pressure of bent water behind the speed of the flood had become dizzying down all its length the bank was being gashed and gouged and the island was jarring and shaking to its foundations oh great great frona sprang up and down between the men where is your fake baron 
ah he shook his head ah i was wrong i am miserable but the magnificence look he pointed down to the bunch of islands which obstructed the bend there the mile-wide stream divided and subdivided again which was well for water but not so well for packed ice the islands drove their wedged heads into the frozen flood and tossed the cakes high into the air but cake pressed upon cake and shelved out of the water out and up sliding and grinding and climbing and still more cakes from behind till hillocks and mountains of ice upreared and crashed among the trees a likely place for a jam jacob wells said get the glasses frona he gazed through them long and steadily it's growing spreading out a cake at the right time and the right place but the river is falling frona cried the ice had dropped six feet below the top of the bank and the baron corberton marked it with a stick our man's still there but he doesn't move it was clear day and the sun was breaking forth in the northeast they took turnabout with the glasses in gazing across the river look is it not marvellous corberton pointed to the mark he had made the water had dropped another foot ah too bad too bad the jam there will be none jacob wells regarded him gravely ah there will be he asked picking up hope frona looked inquiringly at her father jams are not always nice he said with a short laugh it all depends where they take place and where you happen to be but the river look it falls i can see it before my eyes it is not too late he swept the island studded bend and saw the ice mountains larger and reaching out one to another go into the tent corberton and put on the pair of moccasins you'll find by the stove go on you won't miss anything and you frona start the fire and get the coffee under way half an hour after though the river had fallen twenty feet they found the ice still pounding along now the fun begins here take a squint you hot-headed gall the left-hand channel man now she takes it corberton saw the left-hand channel close and then a great white barrier heave up and travel from island to island the ice before them slowed down and came to rest then followed the instant rise of the river up it came in a swift rush as though nothing short of the sky could stop it as when they were first awakened the cakes rubbed and slid inshore over the crest of the bank the muddy water creeping in advance and marking the way mon dieu but this is not nice but magnificent baron frona teased in the meanwhile you are getting your feet wet he retreated out of the water and in time for a small avalanche of cakes rattled down upon the place he had just left the rising water had forced the ice up till it stood breast high above the island like a wall but it will go down soon when the jam breaks see even now it comes up not so swift it has broken frona was watching the barrier no it hasn't she denied but the water no longer rises like a racehorse nor does it stop rising he was puzzled for the nonce then his face brightened ah i have it above somewhere there is another jam most excellent is it not she caught his excited hand in hers and detained him but listen suppose the upper jam breaks and the lower jam holds he looked at her steadily till he grasped the full import his face flushed and with a quick intake of breath he straightened up and threw back his head he made a sweeping gesture as though to include the island then you and i the tent the boats cabins trees everything in la bijou poof and all are gone to the devil frona shook her head it is too bad bad pardon magnificent no no baron not that but that you are not an anglo-saxon 
the race could well be proud of you and you frona would you not glorify the french at it again eh throwing bouquets at yourselves del bishop grinned at them and made to depart as quickly as he had come but twist yourselves some sick men in a cabin down here got to get em out you're needed and don't be all day about it he shouted over his shoulder as he disappeared among the trees the river was still rising though more slowly and as soon as they left the high ground they were splashing along ankle-deep in the water winding in and out among the trees they came upon a boat which had been hauled out the previous fall who had managed to get into the country thus far over the ice had piled themselves into it also their tents sleds and dogs but the boat was perilously near the ice gorge which growled and wrestled and overtopped it a bare dozen feet away come get out of this you fools jacob wells shouted as he went past del bishop had told them to get the hell out of there when he ran by and they could not understand one of them turned up an unheeding terrified face another lay prone and listless across the thwarts as though bereft of strength while the third with the face of a clerk rocked back and forth and moaned monotonously my god my god the baron stopped long enough to shake him damn he cried your legs man not god but your legs ah ah hump yourself yes hump get a move on twist get back from the bank the woods the trees anywhere he tried to drag him out but the man struck at him savagely and held back how one collects the vernacular he confided proudly to frona as they hurried on twist it is a strong word and suitable you should travel with dell she laughed he'd increase your stock in no time you don't say so yes but i do ah your idioms i shall never learn and he shook his head despairingly with both his hands they came out in a clearing where a cabin stood close to the river on its flat earth roof two sick men swathed in blankets were lying while bishop corliss and jacob wells were splashing about inside the cabin after the clothes bags and general outfit the mean depth of the flood was a couple of feet but the floor of the cabin had been dug out for purposes of warmth and there the water was to the waist keep the tobacco dry one of the sick men said feebly from the roof tobacco hell his companion advised look out for the flour and the sugar he added as an afterthought that's cause bill he don't smoke miss the first man explained but keep an eye on it won't you he pleaded here now shut up dell tossed the canister beside him and the man clutched it as though it were a sack of nuggets can i be of any use she asked looking up at them no nope. scurvy nothing'll do em any good but god's country and raw potatoes the pocket miner regarded her for a moment what are you doing here anyway get on back to high ground but with a groan and a crash the ice wall bulged in a fifty-ton cake ended over splashing them with muddy water and settled down before the door a smaller cake drove against the outjutting corner logs and the cabin reeled Herberton and jacob wells were inside after you frona heard the baron and then her father's short amused laugh and the gallant frenchman came out last squeezing his way between the cake and the logs say bill if that there lower jam holds we're goners the man with the canister called to his partner ay that it will came the answer blow nulato i saw bixby island swept clean as my old mother's kitchen floor the men came hastily together about frona this won't do we've got to carry them over to your shack corliss as he spoke jacob wells clambered nimbly up the cabin and gazed down at the big barrier where's mcpherson he asked 
petrified astride the ridge pole this last hour jacob wells waved his arm it's breaking there she goes no kitchen floor this time bill with my respects to your old woman called he of the tobacco ay answered the imperturbable bill the whole river seemed to pick itself up and start down the stream with the increasing motion the ice wall broke in a hundred pieces and from up and down the shore came the rending and crashing of uprooted trees corliss and bishop laid hold of bill and started off to mcpherson's and jacob wells and the baron were just sliding his mate over the eaves when a huge block of ice rammed in and smote the cabin squarely frona saw it and cried a warning but the tiered logs were overthrown like a house of cards she saw curberton and the sick man hurled clear of the wreckage and her father go down with it she sprang to the spot but he did not rise she pulled at him to get his mouth above water but at full stretch his head barely showed then she let go and felt about with her hands till she found his right arm jammed between the logs these she could not move but she thrust between them one of the roof poles which had underlaid the dirt and moss it was a rude handspike hardly equal to the work for when she threw her weight upon the free end it bent and cracked heedful of the warning she came in a couple of feet and swung upon it tentatively and carefully till something gave and jacob wells shoved his muddy face into the air he drew half a dozen great breaths and burst out but that tastes good and then throwing a quick glance about him frona del bishop is a most voracious man why she asked perplexedly because he said you'd do you know he kissed her and they both spat the mud from their lips laughing curberton floundered round a corner of the wreckage never was there such a man he cried gleefully he is mad crazy there is no appeasement his skull is cracked by the fall and his tobacco is gone it is chiefly the tobacco which is lamentable but his skull was not cracked for it was merely a slit of the scalp of five inches or so you'll have to wait till the others come back i can't carry jacob wells pointed to his right arm which hung dead only wrenched he explained no bones broken the baron struck an extravagant attitude and pointed down at frona's foot ah the water it is gone and there a jewel of the flood a pearl of price her well-worn moccasins had gone rotten from the soaking and a little white toe peeped out at the world of slime then i am indeed wealthy baron for i have nine others and who shall deny who shall deny he cried fervently what a ridiculous foolish lovable fellow it is i kissed your hand and he knelt gallantly in the muck she jerked her hand away and burying it with its mate in his curly mop shook his head back and forth what shall i do with him father jacob wells shrugged his shoulders and laughed and she turned corberton's face up and kissed him on the lips and jacob wells knew that his was the larger share in that manifest joy the river fallen to its winter level was pounding its ice glut steadily along but in falling it had rimmed the shore with a twenty-foot wall of stranded floes the great blocks were spilled inland among the thrown and standing trees and the slime-coated flowers and grasses like the titanic vomit of some northland monster the sun was not idle and the steaming thaw washed the mud and foulness from the bergs till they blazed like heaped diamonds in the brightness or shimmered opalescent blue yet they were reared hazardously one on another and ever and anon flashing towers and rainbow minarets crumbled thunderously into the flood by one of the gaps so made lay la bijou and about it saving chicacos and sick men were grouped the denizens of the split-up na na lad twa men'll be a plenty 
tommy mcpherson sought about him with his eyes for corroboration gin ye got three o the canoe twill be o'er comfortable it must be a dash or nothing corliss spoke up we need three men tommy and you know it na na twas a plenty i'm a tellin ye but i'm afraid we'll have to do with two the scotch canadian evinced his satisfaction openly mare to be a bother and i doot not ye'll make it all rick lad and you'll make one of those two tommy corliss went on inexorably na there's ithers a plenty well contin me no there's not corberton doesn't know the first thing st vincent evidently cannot cross the slough mr wells's arm puts him out of it so it's only you and i tommy i'll not be inquisitive but yon son of an axe a likely man he maun pit up a guid stroke while the scot did not lose much love for the truculent pocket miner he was well aware of his grit and seized the chance to save himself by shoving the other into the breach del bishop stepped into the centre of the little circle paused and looked every man in the eyes before he spoke is there a man here'll say i'm a coward he demanded without preface again he looked each one in the eyes or is there a man who'll even hint that i ever did a cur-like act and yet again he searched the circle well and good i hate the water but i've never been afraid of it i don't know how to swim yet i've been over the side more times than it's good to remember i can't pull an oar without batting my back on the bottom of the boat as for steering well authorities say there's thirty-two points to the compass but there's at least thirty more when i get started as sure as god made little apples i don't know my elbow from my knee about a paddle i've capsized damn near every canoe i've ever set foot in i've gone right through the bottom of two i've turned turtle in the canyon and been pulled out below the white horse i can only keep stroke with one man and that man's yours truly but gentlemen if the call comes i'll take my place in la bijou and take her to hell if she don't turn over on the way baron curberton threw his arms about him crying as sure as god made little apples thou art a man tommy's face was white and he sought refuge in speech from the silence which settled down i'll deny i lift a good paddle nor that my wind is fair but gin ye gang i'll tide the way the next jam will be on us for my part i consider it i rash by the way till the river's clear say i it's no go tommy jacob wells admonished you can't cash excuses here but mon it does not need discrimination that'll do from corliss you're coming i'll nothing of the sort i'll shut up dell had come into the world with lungs of leather and larynx of brass and when he thus jerked out the stops the scotsman quailed and shrank down oh yes oh yes in contrast to dell's siren tones frona's were purest silver as they rippled down island through the trees oh yes oh yes open water open water and wait a minute i'll be with you three miles upstream where the yukon curved grandly in from the west a bit of water appeared it seemed too marvellous for belief after the granite winter but mcpherson untouched of imagination began a crafty retreat by the wee by the wee he protested when collared by the pocket miner i've forgot my pipe then you'll bide with us tommy dell sneered and i'd let you have a draw of mine if your own wasn't sticking out of your pocket twas the backy i didn't mind then dig into this he shoved his pouch into mcpherson's shaking hands you'd better shed your coat here i'll help you and private tommy if you don't act the man i won't do a thing to you sure 
Corliss had stripped his heavy flannel shirt for freedom, and it was plain when Frona joined them that she also had been shedding. Jacket and skirt were gone, and her underskirt of dark cloth ceased midway below her knee. "'You'll do,' Dell commanded. Jacob Wells looked at her anxiously and went over to where she was testing the grips of the several paddles. "'You're not,' he began. She nodded. "'You're a good girl,' McPherson broke in. "'Now have a woman to home to say nothing o' three bairns.' Already Corliss lifted the bow of La Bijou and looked back. The turbid water lashed by on the heels of the ice-run. Curberton took the stern in the steep descent, and Dell marshalled Tommy's reluctant rear. A flat flow, dipping into the water at a slight incline, served as the embarking stage. "'Into the bow with you, Tommy!' The Scotsman groaned, felt Bishop breathe heavily at his back, and obeyed, Frona meeting his weight by slipping into the stern. "'I can steer,' she assured Corliss, who for the first time was aware that she was coming. He glanced up to Jacob Wells as though for consent, and received it. "'Hit her up! Hit her up!' Dell urged impatiently. "'You're burning daylight!' End of chapter 24, read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com. Chapter 25 of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 25 la bijou was a perfect expression of all that was dainty and delicate in the boat builder's soul light as an eggshell and as fragile her three-eighths inch skin offered no protection from a driving chunk of ice as small as a man's head nor though the water was open did she find a clear way for the river was full of scattered flows which had crumbled down from the rim ice and here at once through skilful handling, Corliss took to himself confidence in Frona. It was a great picture, the water rushing blackly between its crystalline walls, beyond the green woods stretching upward to touch the cloud-flecked summer sky, and over all, like a furnace blast, the hot sun beating down. A great picture, but somehow Corliss's mind turned to his mother and her perennial tea, the soft carpets, the prim new england maidservants the canaries singing in the wide windows and he wondered if she could understand and when he thought of the woman behind him and felt the dip and lift dip and lift of her paddle his mother's women came back to him one by one and passed in long review pale glimmering ghosts he thought caricatures of the stock which had replenished the earth and which would continue to replenish the earth la bijou skirted a pivoting flow darted into a nipping channel and shot out into the open with the walls grinding together behind tommy groaned well done corliss encouraged the fear woman came the backward snarl why couldn't a she bite a bit frona caught his words and flung a laugh defiantly vance darted a glance over his shoulder to her and her smile was witchery her cap perched precariously was sliding off while her flying hair a glint in the sunshine framed her face as he had seen it framed on the dia trail how i should like to sing if it weren't for saving one's breath say the song of the sword or the anchor chanty or the first chanty corliss answered mine was the woman darkling i found her he hummed significantly 
she flashed her paddle into the water on the opposite side in order to go wide of a jagged cake and seemed not to hear i could go on this way forever and i corliss affirmed warmly but she refused to take notice saying instead vance do you know i'm glad we're friends no fault of mine were not more you're losing your stroke sir she reprimanded and he bent silently to the work la bijou was driving against the current at an angle of forty-five degrees and her resultant course was a line at right angles to the river thus she would tap the western bank directly opposite the starting point where she could work up stream in the slacker flood but a mile of indented shore and then a hundred yards of bluffs rising precipitously from out a stiff current would still lie between them and the man to be rescued now let us ease up corliss advised as they slipped into an eddy and drifted with the back tide under the great wall of rim ice who would think it in mid-may she glanced up at the carelessly poised cakes does it seem real to you vance he shook his head nor to me i know that i frona in the flesh am here in a peterborough paddling for dear life with two men year of our lord eighteen hundred and ninety-eight alaska yukon river this is water that is ice my arms are tired my heart up a few beats and i am sweating and yet it seems all a dream just think a year ago i was in paris she drew a deep breath and looked out over the water to the further shore where jacob wells's tent like a snowy handkerchief sprawled against the deep green of the forest i do not believe there is such a place she added there is no paris and i was in london a twelvemonth past corliss meditated but i have undergone a new incarnation london there is no london now it is impossible how could there be so many people in the world this is the world and we know of fact that there are very few people in it else there could not be so much ice and sea and sky tommy here i know thinks fondly of a place he calls toronto he mistakes it exists only in his mind a memory of a former life he knew of course he does not think so that is but natural for he is no philosopher nor does he bother Feast, will ye tommy fiercely whispered your gavel'll bring it doon aboot our heads life is brief in the northland and fulfilment ever clutters the heels of prophecy a premonitory tremor sighed down the air and the rainbow wall swayed above them the three paddles gripped the water with common accord la bijou leaped out from under broadside after broadside flared and crashed and a thousand frigid tons thundered down behind them the displaced waters surged forward in a foamy upstanding circle and la bijou striving wildly to rise ducked through the stiff overhang of the crest and wallowed half full in the trough didn't i tell ye ye gabbling fuels sit still and bail corliss checked him sharply or ye'll not have the comfort of telling us anything he shook his head at frona and she winked back then they both chuckled much like children over an escapade which looks disastrous but turns out well creeping timidly under the shadow of the impending avalanches la bijou slipped noiselessly up the last eddy a corner of the bluff rose savagely from the river a monstrous mass of naked rock scarred and battered of the centuries hating the river that gnawed it ever hating the rain that graved its grim face with unsightly seams hating the sun that refused to mate with it whereof green life might come forth and hide its hideousness 
the whole force of the river hurled in against it waged furious war along its battlements and caromed off into midstream again down all its length the stiff waves stood in serried rows and its crevices and water-torn caverns were a bellow with unseen strife now bend to it your best it was the last order corliss could give for in the din they were about to enter a man's voice were like a cricket's chirp amid the growling of an earthquake la bijou sprang forward cleared the eddy with a bound and plunged into the thick dip and lift dip and lift the paddles worked with rhythmic strength the water rippled and tore and pulled always at once and the fragile shell unable to go always at once shook and quivered with the shock of resistance it veered nervously to the right and left but frona held it with a hand of steel a yard away a fissure in the rock grinned at them la bijou leaped and shot ahead and the water slipping away underneath kept her always in one place now they surged out from the fissure now in ahead for half a yard then back again and the fissure mocked their toil five minutes each of which sounded a separate eternity and the fissure was passed ten minutes and it was a hundred feet astern dip and lift dip and lift till sky and earth and river were blotted out and consciousness dwindled to a thin line a streak of foam fringed on the one hand with sneering rock on the other with snarling water that thin line summed up all somewhere below was the beginning of things somewhere above beyond the roar and traffic was the end of things and for that end they strove and still frona held the eggshell with a hand of steel what they gained they held and fought for more inch by inch dip and lift and all would have been well but for the flutter of tommy's soul a cake of ice sucked beneath by the current rose under his paddle with a flurry of foam turned over its toothed edge and was dragged back into the depths and in that sight he saw himself hair streaming upward and drowned hands clutching emptiness going feet first down and down he stared wide-eyed at the portent and his poised paddle refused to strike on the instant the fissure grinned in their faces and the next they were below the bluffs drifting gently in the eddy frona lay head thrown back sobbing at the sun amidships corliss sprawled panting and forward choking and gasping and nerveless the scotsman drooped his head upon his knees la bijou rubbed softly against the rim ice and came to rest the rain-ball wall hung above like a fairy pile the sun flung backward from innumerable facets clothed it in jewelled splendour silvery streams tinkled down its crystal slopes and in its clear depths seemed to unfold veil on veil the secrets of life and death and mortal striving vistas of pale shimmering azure opening like dream visions and promising down there in the great cool heart infinite rest infinite cessation and rest the topmost tower delicately massive a score of feet above them swayed to and fro gently like the ripple of wheat in light summer airs but corliss gazed at it unheeding just to lie there on the marge of the mystery just to lie there and drink the air in great gulps and do nothing he asked no more a dervish whirling on heel till all things blur may grasp the essence of the universe and prove the godhead indivisible and so a man plying a paddle and plying and plying may shake off his limitations and rise above time and space and so corliss but gradually his blood ceased its mad pounding and the air was no longer nectar sweet and a sense of things real and pressing came back to him 
we've got to get out of this he said his voice sounded like a man's whose throat has been scorched by many and long potations it frightened him but he limply lifted a shaking paddle and shoved off yes let us start by all means frona said in a dim voice which seemed to come to him from a far distance tommy lifted his head and gazed about i doot we'll just hide to gee it up bend to it ye'll try it anither bend to it corliss repeated till your heart bursts tommy frona added once again they fought up the thin line and all the world vanished save the streak of foam and the snarling river and the grinning fissure but they passed it inch by inch and the broad bend welcomed them from above and only a rocky buttress of implacable hate around whose base howled the tides of an equal hate stood between then la bijou leaped and throbbed and shook again and the current slid out from under and they remained ever in one place dip and lift dip and lift through an infinity of time and torture and travail till even the line dimmed and faded and the struggle lost its meaning their souls became merged in the rhythm of the toil ever lifting ever falling they seemed to have become great pendulums of time and before and behind glimmered the eternities and between the eternities ever lifting ever falling they pulsed in vast rhythmical movement they were no longer humans but rhythm they surged in till their paddles touched the bitter rock but they did not know surged out where chance piloted them unscathed through the lashing ice but they did not see nor did they feel the shock of the smitten waves nor the driving spray that cooled their faces la bijou veered out into the stream and their paddles flashing mechanically in the sunshine held her to the return angle across the river as time and matter came back to them and split-up island dawned upon their eyes like the foreshore of a new world they settled down to the long easy stroke wherein breath and strength may be recovered a third attempt would have been useless corliss said in a dry cracked whisper and frona answered yes our hearts would have surely broken life and the pleasant campfire and the quiet rest in the noonday shade came back to tommy as the shore drew near and more than all blessed toronto its houses that never moved and its jostling streets each time his head sank forward and he reached out and clutched the water with his paddle the streets enlarged as though gazing through a telescope and adjusting to a nearer focus and each time the paddle drove clear and his head was raised the island bounded forward his head sank and the streets were of the size of life it raised and jacob wells and the two men stood on the bank three lengths away didn't i tell ye he shouted to them triumphantly but frona jerked the canoe parallel to the bank and he found himself gazing at the long upstream stretch he arrested a stroke midway and his paddle clattered in the bottom pick it up corliss's voice was sharp and relentless i'll do nothing of the kind he turned a rebellious face on his tormentor and ground his teeth in anger and disappointment the canoe was drifting down with the current and frona merely held it in place corliss crawled forward on his knees i don't want to hurt you tommy he said in a low tense voice so well just tick it up that's a good fellow i'll know then i shall kill you corliss went on in the same calm passionless way at the same time drawing his hunting knife from its sheath and if i dinna the scotsman queried stoutly though cowering away corliss pressed gently with the knife the point of the steel entered tommy's back just where the heart should be passed slowly through the shirt and bit into the skin nor did it stop there nor did it quicken 
but just as slowly held on its way he shrank back quivering there there man Pidi-doop! he shrieked i'm on ye in rona's face was quite pale but her eyes were hard brilliantly hard and she nodded approval we're going to try this side and shoot across from above she called to her father what i can't hear tommy oh his heart's weak nothing serious she saluted with her paddle we'll be back in no time father mine in no time stewart river was wide open and they ascended it a quarter of a mile before they shot its mouth and continued up the yukon but when they were well abreast of the man on the opposite bank a new obstacle faced them a mile above a wreck of an island clung desperately to the river bed its tail dwindled to a sand spit which bisected the river as far down as the impassable bluffs further a few hundred thousand tons of ice had grounded upon the spit and upreared a glittering ridge we'll have to portage corliss said as frona turned the canoe from the bank la bijou darted across the narrower channel to the sand spit and slipped up a little ice ravine where the walls were less precipitous they landed on an outjutting cake which without support overhung the water for sheer thirty feet how far its other end could be buried in the mass was matter for conjecture they climbed to the summit dragging the canoe after them and looked out over the dazzle flow was piled upon flow in titanic confusion huge blocks topped and overtopped one another only to serve as pedestals for great white masses which blazed and scintillated in the sun like monstrous jewels a bonny place for a bit walk tommy sneered with an ex jam fair to come any time he sat down resolutely no thank ye kindly i'll no try it frona and corliss clambered on the canoe between them the persians lashed their slaves into battle she remarked looking back i never understood before hadn't you better go back after him corliss kicked him up whimpering and forced him to go on in advance the canoe was an affair of little weight but its bulk on the steep rises and sharp turns taxed their strength the sun burned down upon them its white glare hurt their eyes the sweat oozed out from every pore and they panted for breath oh vance do you know what he swept the perspiration from his forehead and flung it from him with a quick flirt of the hand i wish i had eaten more breakfast he grunted sympathetically they had reached the midmost ridge and could see the open river and beyond quite clearly the man and his signal of distress below pastoral in its green quiet lay split up island they looked up to the broad bend of the yukon smiling lazily as though it were not capable at any moment of spewing forth a flood of death at their feet the ice sloped down into a miniature gorge across which the sun cast a broad shadow go on tommy frona bade we're halfway over and there's water down there it's water you'd be thinking on is it he snarled and you a-leadin a buddy to his death i fear you have done some great sin tommy she said with a reproving shake of the head or else you would not be so afraid of death she sighed and picked up her end of the canoe well i suppose it is natural you do not know how to die no more do i want to die he broke in fiercely there come times for all men to die times when to die is the only thing to do perhaps this is such a time tommy slid carefully over a glistening ledge and dropped his height to a broad foothold it's a very good he grinned up but dinna ye think of sufficient discrimination to judge for myself why should i no sing my ain song because you do not know how the strong have ever pitched the key for such as you it is they that have taught your kind when and how to die 
and led you to die and lashed you to die ye pitied fair he rejoined and ye do it well it doesna behoove me to complain sic a michty fine job ye're makin on it you are doing well corliss chuckled as tommy dropped out of sight and landed into the bed of the gorge the cantankerous brute he'd argue on the trail to judgment where did you learn to paddle she asked college exercise he answered shortly but isn't that fine look the melting ice had formed a pool in the bottom of the gorge frona stretched out full length and dipped her hot mouth into its coolness and lying as she did the soles of her dilapidated moccasins or rather the soles of her feet for moccasins and stockings had gone in shreds were turned upward they were very white and from contact with the ice were bruised and cut here and there the blood doozed out and from one of the toes it streamed steadily so wee and pretty and salt-like tommy jibed one wouldn't a think they could lead a strong man to hell by the way you grumble they're leading you fast enough corliss answered angrily forty mile an hour tommy retorted as he walked away gloating over having the last word one moment you've two shirts lend me one the scotsman's face lighted inquisitively till he comprehended then he shook his head and started on again frona scrambled to her feet what's the matter nothing sit down but what is the matter corliss put his hands on her shoulders and pressed her back your feet you can't go on in such shape they're in ribbons see he brushed the sole of one of them and held up a blood-dripping palm why didn't you tell me oh they don't bother much give me one of your skirts he demanded i she faltered i only have one he looked about him tommy had disappeared among the ice floes he must be getting on frona said attempting to rise but he held her back not another step till i fix you here goes so shut your eyes she obeyed and when she opened them he was naked to the waist and his undershirt torn in strips was being bound about her feet you were in the rear and i did not know don't apologize pray she interrupted i could have spoken i'm not i'm reproaching you now the other one put it up the nearness of her bred a madness and he touched his lips lightly to the same white little toe that had won the baron corbettin a kiss though she did not draw back her face flushed and she thrilled as she had thrilled once before in her life you take advantage of your own goodness she rebuked him then i will doubly advantage myself please don't she begged and why not it is a custom of the sea to broach the spirits as the ship prepares to sink and since this is a sort of forlorn hope you know why not but but what miss prim oh of all things you know i do not deserve that if there were nobody else to be considered why under the circumstances he drew the last knot tight and dropped her foot damn st vincent anyway come on so would i were i you she laughed taking up her end of the canoe but how you have changed vance you are not the same man i met on the dia trail you hadn't learned to swear then among other things no i'm not the same for which i thank god and you only i think i am honester than you i always live up to my philosophy now confess that's unfair you ask too much under the circumstances only a little toe or else i suppose you just care for me in a kind of big brotherly way in which case if you really wish it you may do keep quiet he broke in roughly or i'll be making a gorgeous fool of myself kiss all my toes she finished he grunted but did not deign a reply 
the work quickly took their breath and they went on in silence till they descended the last steep to where mcpherson waited by the open river dell hates st vincent she said boldly why yes it seems that way he glanced back at her curiously and wherever he goes dell lugs an old russian book which he can't read but which he nevertheless regards in some sort of way as st vincent's nemesis and do you know frona he has such faith in it that i can't help catching a little myself i don't know whether you'll come to me or whether i'll go to you but she dropped her end of the canoe and broke out in laughter he was annoyed and a hurt spread of blood ruddied his face if i have stupid she laughed don't be silly and above all don't be dignified it doesn't exactly become you at the present moment your hair all tangled a murderous knife in your belt and naked to the waist like a pirate stripped for battle be fierce frown swear anything but please don't be dignified i do wish i had my camera in after years i could say this my friends is corliss the great arctic explorer just as he looked at the conclusion of his world-famous trip through darkest alaska he pointed an ominous finger at her and said sternly where is your skirt she involuntarily looked down but its tatterdemalion presence relieved her and her face jerked up scarlet you should be ashamed please please do not be dignified he laughed very true it doesn't exactly become you at the present moment now if i had my camera do be quiet and go on she said i hope the sun takes the skin all off your back she panted vindictively as they slid the canoe down the last shelf and dropped it into the water ten minutes later they climbed the ice wall and on and up the bank which was partly a hillside to where the signal of distress still fluttered beneath it on the ground lay stretched the man he lay very quietly and the fear that they were too late was upon them when he moved his head slightly and moaned his rough clothes were in rags and the black bruised flesh of his feet showed through the remnants of his moccasins his body was thin and gaunt without flesh pads or muscles while the bones seemed ready to break through the tight-stretched skin as corliss felt his pulse his eyes fluttered open and stared glassily frona shuddered man it's fair gruesome mcpherson muttered running his hand up a shrunken arm you go on to the canoe frona corliss said tommy and i will carry him down but her lips set firmly though the descent was made easier by her aid the man was well shaken by the time they laid him in the bottom of the canoe so well shaken that some last shreds of consciousness were aroused he opened his eyes and whispered hoarsely jacob wells dispatches from the outside he plucked feebly at his open shirt and across his emaciated chest they saw the leather strap to which doubtless the dispatch pouch was slung at either end of the canoe there was room to spare but amidships corliss was forced to paddle with the man between his knees la bijou swung blithely from the bank it was downstream at last and there was little need for exertion vance's arms and shoulders and back a bright scarlet caught frona's attention my hopes are realized she exulted reaching out and softly stroking a burning arm we shall have to put cold cream on it when we get back go ahead he encouraged that feels awfully good she splashed his hot back with a handful of the ice-cold water from overside he caught his breath with a gasp and shivered tommy turned about to look at them it's a good deed we'll a doon this day he remarked pleasantly to gi a hand in distress is good i the sight o god who's afeard frona laughed weel he deliberated i was a bit fashed no doot but his utterance ceased and he seemed suddenly to petrify 
his eyes fixed themselves in a terrible stare over frona's shoulder and then slowly and dreamily with the solemnity fitting an invocation of deity murmured quit god almighty they whirled their heads about a wall of ice was sweeping round the bend and even as they looked the right-hand flank unable to compass the curve struck the farther shore and flung up a ridge of heaving mountains quid god quid god like rats in the trap tommy jabbed his paddle futilely in the water get the stroke corliss hissed in his ear and le bijou sprang away frona steered straight across the current at almost right angles for split up and when the sand-spit over which they had portage crashed at the impact of a million tons corliss glanced at her anxiously she smiled and shook her head at the same time slacking off the course we can't make it she whispered looking back at the ice a couple of hundred feet away our only chance is to run before it and work in slowly she cherished every inward inch jealously holding the canoe up as sharply as she dared and at the same time maintaining a constant distance ahead of the ice rim i canna stand the pace tommy whimpered once but the silence of corliss and frona seemed ominous and he kept his paddle going at the very fore of the ice was a floe five or six feet thick and a couple of acres in extent reaching out in advance of the pack it clove through the water till on either side there formed a bore like that of a quick flood-tide in an inland passage tommy caught sight of it and would have collapsed had not corliss prodded him between strokes with the point of his paddle we can keep ahead frona panted but we must get time to make the landing when the chance comes drive her in bow on corliss counselled and when she strikes jump and run for it climb rather i'm glad my skirt is short repulsed by the bluffs of the left bank the ice was forced towards the right the big floe in advance drove in upon the precise point of split-up island if you look back i'll brain you with the paddle corliss threatened ay tommy groaned but corliss looked back and so did frona the great berg struck the land with an earthquake shock for fifty feet the soft island was demolished a score of pines swayed frantically and went down and where they went down rose up a mountain of ice which rose and fell and rose again below and but a few feet away del bishop ran out to the bank and above the roar they could hear faintly his hit her up hit her up then the ice rim wrinkled up and he sprang back to escape it the first opening corliss gasped frona's lips spread apart she tried to speak but failed then nodded her head that she had heard they swung along in rapid rhythm under the rainbow wall looking for a place where it might be quickly cleared and down all the length of split-up island they raced vainly the sure crashing behind them as they fled as they darted across the mouth of the back channel to roubault island they found themselves heading directly for an opening in the rim ice la bijou drove into it full tilt and went half her length out of water on a shelving cake the three of them leaped together but while the two of them gripped the canoe to run it up tommy in the lead strove only to save himself and he would have succeeded had he not slipped and fallen midway in the climb he half arose slipped and fell again corliss hauling on the bow of the canoe trampled over him he reached up and clutched the gunwale they did not have the strength and this clog brought them at once to a standstill corliss looked back and yelled for him to let go but he only turned upward a piteous face like that of a drowning man and clutched more tightly behind them the ice was thundering the first flurry of coming destruction was upon them 
they endeavoured desperately to drag up the canoe but the added burden was too much and they fell on their knees the sick man sat up suddenly and laughed wildly blood of my soul he ejaculated and laughed again Rubeau island swayed to the first shock and the ice was rocking under their feet frona seized a paddle and smashed the scotsman's knuckles and the instant he loosed his grip corliss carried the canoe up in a mad rush frona clinging on and helping from behind the rainbow wall curled up like a scroll and in the convolutions of the scroll like a bee in the many folds of a magnificent orchid tommy disappeared they fell breathless on the earth but a monstrous cake shoved up from the jam and balanced above them frona tried to struggle to her feet but sank on her knees and it remained for corliss to snatch her and the canoe out from underneath again they fell this time under the trees the sun sifting down upon them through the green pine needles the robins singing overhead and a colony of crickets chirping in the warmth end of chapter twenty five read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty six of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter twenty six frona woke slowly as though from a long dream she was lying where she had fallen across corliss's legs while he on his back faced the hot sun without concern she crawled up to him he was breathing regularly with closed eyes which opened to meet hers he smiled and she sank down again then he rolled over on his side and they looked at each other vance yes she reached out her hand his closed upon it and their eyelids fluttered and drooped down the river still rumbled on somewhere in the infinite distance but it came to them like the murmur of a world forgotten a soft languor encompassed them the golden sunshine dripped down upon them through the living green and all the life of the warm earth seemed singing and quiet was very good fifteen long minutes they drowsed and woke again frona sat up i-i was afraid she said not you afraid that i might be afraid she amended fumbling with her hair leave it down the day merits it she complied with a toss of the head which circled it with a nimbus of rippling yellow tommy's gone corliss mused the race with the ice coming slowly back yes she answered i rapped him on the knuckles it was terrible but the chance is we've a better man in the canoe and we must care for him at once hello look there through the trees not a score of feet away she saw the wall of a large cabin nobody in sight it must be deserted or else they're visiting whoever they are you look to our man vance i'm more presentable and i'll go and see she skirted the cabin which was a large one for the yukon country and came around to where it fronted on the river the door stood open and as she paused to knock the whole interior flashed upon her in an astounding picture a cumulative picture or series of pictures as it were for first she was aware of a crowd of men and of some great common purpose upon which all were seriously bent at her knock they instinctively divided so that a lane opened up flanked by their pressed bodies to the far end of the room and there in the long bunks on either side sat two grave rows of men and midway between against the wall was a table the table seemed the centre of interest 
fresh from the sun-dazzle the light within was dim and murky but she managed to make out a bearded american sitting by the table and hammering it with a heavy caulking mallet and on the opposite side sat st vincent she had time to note his worn and haggard face before a man of scandinavian appearance slouched up to the table the man with the mallet raised his right hand and said glibly you do most solemnly swear that what you are about to give before the court he abruptly stopped and glowered at the man before him take off your hat he roared and a snicker went up from the crowd as the man obeyed then he of the mallet began again you do most solemnly swear that what you are about to give before the court shall be the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god the scandinavian nodded and dropped his hand one moment gentlemen frona advanced up the lane which closed behind her st vincent sprang to his feet and stretched out his arms to her frona he cried oh frona i am innocent it struck her like a blow the unexpectedness of it and for the instant in the sickly light she was conscious only of the ring of white faces each face set with eyes that burned innocent of what she thought and as she looked at st vincent arms still extended she was aware in a vague troubled way of something distasteful innocent of what he might have had more reserve he might have waited till he was charged she did not know that he was charged with anything friend of the prisoner the man with the mallet said authoritatively bring a stool forward some of you one moment she staggered against the table and rested a hand on it i do not understand this is all new but her eyes happened to come to rest on her feet wrapped in dirty rags and she knew that she was clad in a short and tattered skirt that her arm peeped forth through a rent in her sleeve and that her hair was down and flying her cheek and neck on one side seemed coated with some curious substance she brushed it with her hand and caked mud rattled to the floor that will do the man said not unkindly sit down we're in the same box we do not understand but take my word for it we're here to find out so sit down she raised her hand one moment sit down he thundered the court cannot be disturbed a hum went up from the crowd words of dissent and the man pounded the table for silence but frona resolutely kept her feet when the noise had subsided she addressed the man in the chair mr chairman i take it that this is a miners meeting the man nodded then having an equal voice in the managing of this community's affairs i demand to be heard it is important that i should be heard but you're out of order miss er wells a half a dozen voices prompted miss wells he went on and added respect marking his demeanour it grieves me to inform you that you are out of order you had best sit down i will not she answered i rise to a question of privilege and if i am not heard i shall appeal to the meeting she swept the crowd with her eyes and cries went up that she be given a fair show the chairman yielded and motioned her to go on mr chairman and men i do not know the business you have at present before you but i do know that i have more important business to place before you just outside this cabin is a man probably dying from starvation we have brought him from across the river we should not have bothered you but we were unable to make our own island this man i speak of needs immediate attention a couple of you nearest the door go out and look after him the chairman ordered and you doc holliday go along and see what you can do ask for a recess st vincent whispered frona nodded her head and mr chairman i make a motion for a recess until the man is cared for cries of no recess and go on with the business greeted the putting of it and the motion was lost now gregory with a smile and salutation as she took the stool beside him what is it 
He gripped her hand tightly. Don't believe them, Frona. They are trying to, with a gulping swallow, to kill me. Why? Do be calm. Tell me. Why, last night, he began hurriedly, but broke off to listen to the Scandinavian previously sworn, who was speaking with ponderous slowness. I wake wide open quick, he was saying. I come to the door. I there hear one shot more. He was interrupted by a warm-complexioned man clad in faded mackinaws. What did you think? he asked. Eh? the witness queried, his face dark and troubled with perplexity. When you came to the door, what was your first thought? Ah! the man sighed, his face clearing and infinite comprehension sounding in his voice. I have no moccasins. I think pretty damn cold. His satisfied expression changed to naive surprise when an outburst of laughter greeted his statement. But he went on stolidly. One more shot I hear, and I run down the trail. Then Corliss pressed in through the crowd to Frona, and she lost what the man was saying. What's up? the engineer was asking. Anything serious? Can I be of any use? Yes, yes, she caught his hand gratefully. Get over the back channel somehow and tell my father to come. Tell him that Gregory St. Vincent is in trouble, that he is charged with— What are you charged with, Gregory? she asked, turning to him. Murder. Murder? from Corliss. Yes, yes, say that he is charged with murder, that I am here and that I need him, and tell him to bring me some clothes, and Vance, with a pressure of the hand and swift upward look, don't take any big chances, but do try to make it. Oh, I'll make it all right. He tossed his head confidently and proceeded to elbow his way towards the door. Who is helping you in your defense? she asked St. Vincent. He shook his head. No, they wanted to appoint someone, a renegade lawyer from the States, Bill Brown, but I declined him. He's taken the other side now. It's lynch law, you know, and their minds are made up. They're bound to get me. I wish there were time to hear your side. But, Frona, I am innocent. I— Shh! She laid her hand on his arm to hush him and turned her attention to the witness. So the newspaper feller, he fight like anything, but Pierre and me, we pull him into the shack. He cry and stand in one place. Who cried? interrupted the prosecuting lawyer. M, that feller there, the Scandinavian pointed directly at St. Vincent. And I make a light. The slush lamp I find spilt over most everything, but I have a candle in my pocket. It is good practice to carry a candle in the pocket, he affirmed gravely. And Borg, he lay on the floor dead, and the squaw say he did it, and then she die too. Say who did it? And his accusing finger singled out St. Vincent. Him, that feller there. Did she? Frona whispered. Yes, St. Vincent whispered back. She did, but I cannot imagine what prompted her. She must have been out of her head. The warm-faced man in the faded Mackinaws then put the witness through a searching examination which Frona followed closely, but which elicited little new. You have the right to cross-examine the witness, the chairman informed St. Vincent. Any questions you want to ask? The correspondent shook his head. Go on, Frona urged. What's the use? he asked hopelessly. I'm foredoomed. The verdict was reached before the trial began. One moment, please. Frona's sharp command arrested the retiring witness. You do not know of your own knowledge who committed this murder? The Scandinavian gazed at her with a bovine expression on his leaden features, as though waiting for her question to percolate to his understanding. You did not see who did it? she asked again. Ah, uh, yes, that feller there, accusative finger to the fore. She say he did. 
There was a general smile at this. But you did not see it? I hear some shooting. But you did not see who did the shooting? Ah, uh, no, but she said. That will do. Thank you, she said sweetly, and the man retired. The prosecution consulted its notes. Pierre Laflitch was called out. A slender, swart-skinned man, lithe of figure and graceful, stepped forward to the open space before the table. He was darkly handsome, with a quick, eloquent eye, which roved frankly everywhere. It rested for a moment on Frona, open and honest in its admiration, and she smiled and half-nodded, for she liked him at first glance, and it seemed as though they had met of old time. He smiled pleasantly back, the smooth upper lip curling brightly and showing beautiful teeth, immaculately white. In answer to the stereotyped preliminaries, he stated that his name was that of his father's, a descendant of the coureurs de bois. His mother, with a shrug of the shoulders and a flash of teeth, was a breed. He was born somewhere in the barrens, on a hunting trip. He did not know where. Ah, we oui, men call him an old-timer. He had come into the country in the days of Jack McQuestion, across the Rockies from the great slave. On being told to go ahead with what he knew of the matter at hand, he deliberated a moment, as though casting about for the best departure. "'In the spring it is good to sleep with the open door,' he began, his words sounding clear and flute-like, and marked by haunting memories of the accents of his forebearers put into the tongue. "'And so I sleep last night, but I sleep like the cat. The fall of the leaf, the breath of the wind, and my ears whisper to me, whisper, whisper, all the night long.' so the first shot with a quick snap of the fingers and i am awake just like that and i am at the door st vincent leaned toward frona it was not the first shot she nodded with her eyes still bent on la flitch who gallantly waited then two more shot he went on quick together boom boom just like that borg shack i say to myself and run down the trail i think borg killed bella which was bad bella very fine girl he confided with one of his irresistible smiles i like bella so i run and john he run from his cabin like a fat cow with great noise what the matter he say and i say i don't know and then something come whew out of the dark just like that and knock john down and knock me down we grab everything all at once it is a man he is in undress he fight he cry oh 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 just like that we hold him tight and by'm by pretty quick he stop then we get up and i say come along back who was the man la flitch turned partly and rested his eyes on st vincent go on so the man he will not go back but john and i say yes and he go did he say anything i ask him what the matter but he cry he sob just like that did you say anything particular about him la flitch's brows drew up interrogatively anything uncommon out of the ordinary ah we oui, blood on the hands disregarding the murmur in the room he went on his fossil play of features and gesture giving dramatic value to the recital john make a light and bella groan like the hair seal when you shoot him in the body just like that when you shoot him in the body under the flipper and borg lay over in the corner i look he no breathe tall then bella open her eyes and i look in her eyes and i know she know me la flitch who did it bella i ask and she roll her head on the floor and whisper so low so slow him dead i know she mean borg and i say yes then she lift up on one elbow 
and look about quick in big hurry and when she see st vincent she look no more only she look at vincent all the time and she pointed him just like that suiting the action to the word la turned and thrust a wavering finger at the prisoner and she say him 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 and i say bella who did it and she say him 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 st vincha him do it and then la flitch's head fell limply forward on his chest and came back naturally erect as he finished with a flash of teeth dead the warm-faced man bill brown put the quarter breed through the customary direct examination which served to strengthen his testimony and to bring out the fact that a terrible struggle must have taken place in the killing of borg the heavy table was smashed the stool and the bunk board splintered and the stove overthrown never did i see anything like it la flitch concluded his description of the wreck no never brown turned him over to frona with a bow which a smile of hers paid for in full she did not deem it unwise to cultivate cordiality with the lawyer what she was working for was time time for her father to come time to be closeted with st vincent and learn all the details of what really had occurred so she put questions questions interminable questions to la flitch twice only did anything of moment crop up you spoke of the first shot mr la flitch now the walls of a log cabin are quite thick had your door been closed do you think you could have heard that first shot he shook his head though his dark eyes told her he divined the point she was endeavouring to establish and had the door of borg's cabin been closed would you have heard again he shook his head then mr la flitch when you say the first shot you do not mean necessarily the first shot fired but rather the first shot you heard fired he nodded and though she had scored her point she could not see that it had any material bearing after all again she worked up craftily to another and stronger climax though she felt all the time that la flitch fathomed her you say it was very dark mr la flitch ah oui quite dark how dark how did you know it was john you met john make much noise when he run i know that kind of noise could you see him so as to know that it was he ah no then mr la flitch she demanded triumphantly will you please state how you knew there was blood on the hands of mr st vincent his lip lifted in a dazzling smile and he paused a moment how i feel it warm on his hands and my nose ah the smoke of the hunter camp long way off the hole where the rabbit hide the track of the moose which has gone before does not my nose tell me he flung his head back and then with tense face eyes closed nostrils quivering and dilated he simulated the quiescence of all the senses save one and the concentration of his whole being on that one then his eyes fluttered partly open and he regarded her dreamily i smell the blood on his hands the warm blood the hot blood on his hands and by gad he can do it some man exclaimed and so convinced was frona that she glanced involuntarily at st vincent's hands and saw there the rusty brown stains on the cuffs of his flannel shirt as la flitch left the stand bill brown came over to her and shook hands no more than proper i should know the lawyer for the defence he said good-naturedly running over his notes for the next witness but don't you think it is rather unfair to me she asked brightly i have not had time to prepare my case i know nothing about it except what i have gleaned from your two witnesses don't you think mr brown her voice rippling along in persuasive little notes don't you think it would be advisable to adjourn the meeting until to-morrow hm he deliberated looking at his watch 
wouldn't be a bad idea it's five o'clock anyway and the men ought to be cooking their suppers she thanked him as some women can without speech yet as he looked down into her face and eyes he experienced a subtler and greater satisfaction than if she had spoken he stepped to his old position and addressed the room on consultation of the defence and the prosecution and upon consideration of the lateness of the hour and the impossibility of finishing the trial within a reasonable limit i <clears throat> i take the liberty of moving an adjournment until eight o'clock to-morrow morning the eyes have it the chairman proclaimed coming down from his place and proceeding to build the fire for he was a part owner of the cabin and cook for his crowd end of chapter twenty six read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty seven of a daughter of the snows by jack london this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 27. Frona turned to St. Vincent as the last of the crowd filed out. He clutched her hands spasmodically like a drowning man. Do believe me, Frona. Promise me. Her face flushed. You are excited, she said, or you would not say such things. Not that I blame you, she relented. I hardly imagine the situation can be anything else but exciting. Yes, and well I know it, he answered bitterly. I am acting like a fool, and I can't help it. The strain has been terrible, and as though the horror of Borg's end were not enough, to be considered the murderer and hailed up for mob justice. Forgive me, Frona, I am beside myself. Of course, I know that you will believe me. Then tell me, Gregory. In the first place, the woman, Bella, lied she must have been crazed to make that dying statement when i fought as i did for her and borg that is the only explanation begin at the beginning she interrupted remember i know nothing he settled himself more comfortably on the stool and rolled a cigarette as he took up the history of the previous night it must have been about one in the morning when i was awakened by the lighting of the slush lamp i thought it was borg wondering what he was prowling about for and was on the verge of dropping off to sleep when though i do not know what prompted me i opened my eyes two strange men were in the cabin both wore masks and fur caps with the flaps pulled down so that i could see nothing of their faces save the glistening of the eyes through the eye slits i had no first thought unless it was that danger threatened i lay quietly for a second and deliberated borg had borrowed my pistol and i was actually unarmed my rifle was by the door i decided to make a rush for it but no sooner had i struck the floor and one of the men turned on me at the same time firing his revolver that was the first shot and the one la flitch did not hear it was in the struggle afterwards that the door was burst open which enabled him to hear the last three while well, i was so close to the man and my leap out of the bed was so unexpected that he missed me the next moment we grappled and rolled on the floor of course borg was aroused and the second man turned his attention to him and bella it was this second man who did the killing for my man naturally had his hands full you heard the testimony from the way the cabin was wrecked you can picture the struggle we rolled and tossed about and fought till stools table and shelves everything was smashed oh frona it was terrible borg fighting for his life bella helping him though wounded and groaning and i unable to aid but finally in a very short while i began to conquer the man with whom i was struggling i had got him down on his back pinioned his arms with my knees and was slowly throttling him when the other man finished the work and turned on me also what could i do two to one and winded 
so i was thrown into the corner and they made their escape i confess that i must have been badly rattled by that time for as soon as i caught my breath i took out after them and without a weapon then i collided with la flitch and john and you know the rest only he knit his brows in puzzlement only i cannot understand why bella should accuse me he looked at her appealingly and though she pressed his hand sympathetically she remained silent weighing pro and con what she had heard she shook her head slowly it's a bad case and the thing is to convince them but my god frona i am innocent i have not been a saint perhaps but my hands are clean from blood but remember gregory she said gently i am not to judge you unhappily it rests with the men of this miners meeting and the problem is how are they to be convinced of your innocence the two main points are against you bella's dying words and the blood on your sleeve the place was a reek with blood st vincent cried passionately springing to his feet i tell you it was a reek how could i avoid floundering in it fighting as i was for my life can you not take my word there there gregory sit down you are truly beside yourself if your case rested with me you know you would go free and clean but these men you know what mob rule is how are we to persuade them to let you go don't you see you have no witnesses a dying woman's words are more sacred than a living man's can you show cause for the woman to die with a lie on her lips had she any reason to hate you had you done her or her husband an injury he shook his head certainly to us the thing is inexplicable but the miners need no explanation to them it is obvious it rests with us to disprove the obvious can we do it the correspondent sank down despondently with a collapsing of the chest and a drooping forward of the shoulders then i am indeed lost no it's not so bad as that you shall not be hanged trust me for that but what can you do he asked despairingly they have usurped the law have made themselves the law in the first place the river has broken that means everything the governor and the territorial judges may be expected in at any moment with a detachment of police at their backs and they're certain to stop here and furthermore we may be able to do something ourselves the river is open and if it comes to the worst escape would be another way out and escape is the last thing they would dream of no no impossible what are you and i against the many but there's my father and baron corberton four determined people acting together may perform miracles gregory dear trust me it shall come out well she kissed him and ran her hand through his hair but the worried look did not depart jacob wells crossed over the back channel long before dark and with him came dell the baron and corliss while frona retired to change her clothes in one of the smaller cabins which the masculine owners readily turned over to her her father saw to the welfare of the mail carrier the dispatches were of serious import so serious that long after jacob wells had read and re-read them his face was dark and clouded but he put the anxiety from him when he returned to frona st vincent who was confined in an adjoining cabin was permitted to see them it looks bad jacob wells said on parting for the night but rest assured st vincent bad or not you'll not be stretched up so long as i've a hand to play in the rumpus i am certain you did not kill borg and there's my fist on it a long day cordis remarked as he walked back with frona to her cabin and a longer to-morrow she answered wearily and i'm so sleepy you're a brave little woman and i'm proud of you it was ten o'clock and she looked out through the dim twilight to the ghostly ice drifting steadily by and in this trouble he went on depend on me in any way 
in any way she queried with a catch in her voice if i were a hero of the melodrama i'd say to the death but as i'm not i'll just repeat in any way you are good to me vance i can never repay tut tut i do not put myself on sale love is service i believe she looked at him for a long time but while her face betrayed soft wonder at heart she was troubled she knew not why and the events of the day and of all the days since she had known him came fluttering through her mind do you believe in a white friendship she asked at last for i do hope that such a bond may hold us always a bright white friendship a comradeship as it were and as she asked she was aware that the phrase did not quite express what she felt and would desire and when he shook his head she experienced a glad little inexplicable thrill a comradeship he questioned when you know i love you yes she affirmed in a low voice i am afraid after all that your knowledge of man is very limited believe me we are not made of such clay a comradeship a coming in out of the cold to sit by your fire good but a coming in when another man sits with you by your fire no comradeship would demand that i delight in your delights and yet do you think for a moment that i could see you with another man's child in your arms a child which might have been mine with that other man looking out at me through the child's eyes laughing at me through his mouth i say do you think i could delight in your delights no no love cannot shackle itself with white friendships she put her hand on his arm do you think i am wrong he asked bewildered by the strange look in her face she was sobbing quietly you are tired and overwrought so there good night you must get to bed no don't go not yet and she arrested him no no i am foolish as you say i am tired but listen vance there is much to be done we must plan to-morrow's work come inside father and baron curberton are together and if the worst comes we four must do big things spectacular jacob wells commented when frona had briefly outlined the course of action and assigned them their parts but its very unexpectedness ought to carry it through a coup d'etat was the baron's verdict magnificent ah oh, i feel warm all over at the thought hands up i cry thus and very fierce and if they do not hold up their hands he appealed to jacob wells then shoot never bluff when you're behind a gun corberton it's held by good authorities to be unhealthy and you are to take charge of la bijou vance frona said father thinks there will be little ice to-morrow if it doesn't jam to-night all you've to do is to have the canoe by the bank just before the door of course you won't know what is happening until st vincent comes running then in with him and away you go dawson so i'll say good-night and good-bye now for i may not have the opportunity in the morning and keep the left-hand channel till you're past the bend jacob wells counselled him then take the cut-offs to the right and follow the swiftest water now off with you and into your blankets it's seventy miles to dawson and you'll have to make it at one clip end of chapter twenty seven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty eight of a daughter of the stoves by jack london this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 28 Jacob Wells was given due respect when he arose at the convening of the miners' meeting and denounced the proceedings. While such meetings had performed a legitimate function in the past, he contended, when there was no law in the land, 
that time was now beyond recall for law was now established and it was just law the queen's government had shown itself fit to cope with the situation and for them to usurp its powers was to step backward into the night out of which they had come further no lighter word than criminal could characterize such conduct and yet further he promised them in set sober terms if anything serious were the outcome to take an active part in the prosecution of every one of them at the conclusion of his speech he made a motion to hold the prisoner for the territorial court and to adjourn but was voted down without discussion don't you see st vincent said to frona there is no hope but there is listen and she swiftly outlined the plot of the night before he followed her in a half-hearted way too crushed to partake of her enthusiasm it's madness to attempt it he objected when she had done and it looks very much like hanging not to attempt it she answered a little spiritedly surely you will make a fight surely he replied hollowly the first witnesses were two swedes who told of the wash-tub incident when borg had given way to one of his fits of anger trivial as the incident was in the light of subsequent events it at once became serious it opened the way for the imagination into a vast familiar field it was not so much what was said as what was left unsaid men born of women the rudest of them knew life well enough to be aware of its significance a vulgar common happening capable of but one interpretation heads were wagged knowingly in the course of the testimony and whispered comments went the rounds half a dozen witnesses followed in rapid succession all of whom had closely examined the scene of the crime and gone over the island carefully and all of whom were agreed that there was not the slightest trace to be found of the two men mentioned by the prisoner in his preliminary statement to frona's surprise del bishop went upon the stand she knew he disliked st vincent but could not imagine any evidence he could possess which would bear upon the case being sworn and age and nationality ascertained bill brown asked him his business pocket miner he challenged back sweeping the assemblage with an aggressive glance now it happens that a very small class of men follow pocketing and that a very large class of men miners too disbelieve utterly in any such method for obtaining gold pocket miner sneered a red-shirted patriarchal-looking man a man who had washed his first pan in the california diggings in the early fifties yep dell affirmed now look here young feller his interlocutor continued do you mean to tell me you ever struck it in such fangled way yep don't believe it with a contemptuous shrug bell swallowed fast and raised his head with a jerk mr chairman i rise to make a statement i won't interfere with the dignity of the court but i just wish to simply and distinctly state that after the meeting's over i'm going to punch the head of every man that gets gay understand you're out of order the chairman replied rapping the table with the caulking mallet and your head too del cried turning upon him damn poor order you preserve pocketing's got nothing to do with this here trial and why don't you shut such fool questions out i'll take care of you afterwards you pot-walloper you will will you the chairman grew red in the face dropped the mallet and sprang to his feet del stepped forward to meet him but bill brown sprang in between and held them apart order gentlemen order he begged this is no time for unseemly exhibitions and remember there are ladies present 
the two men grunted and subsided and bill brown asked mr bishop we understand that you are well acquainted with the prisoner will you please tell the court what you know of his general character bill broadened into a smile well in the first place he's an extremely quarrelsome disposition hold i won't have it the prisoner was on his feet trembling with anger you shall not swear my life away in such fashion to bring a madman whom i have only met once in my life to testify as to my character the pocket miner turned to him so you don't know me eh gregory st vincent no st vincent replied coldly i do not know you my man don't you man me dell shouted hotly but st vincent ignored him turning to the crowd i never saw the fellow but once before and then for a few brief moments in dawson you'll remember before i'm done dell sneered so hold your hush and let me say my little say i came into the country with him way back in eighty four st vincent regarded him with sudden interest yep mr gregory st vincent i see you begin to recollect i sported whiskers and my name was brown joe brown in them days he grinned vindictively and the correspondent seemed to lose all interest is it true gregory frona whispered i begin to recognize he muttered slowly i don't know no folly the man must have died you say in eighty four mr bishop bill brown prompted yep in eighty four he was a newspaper man bound round the world by way of alaska and siberia i'd run away from a whaler at sitka that squares it with brown and i engaged with him for forty a month and found well he quarrelled with me a snicker beginning from nowhere in particular but passing on from man to man swelling in volume greeted this statement even frona and dell himself were forced to smile and the only sober face was the prisoner's but he quarrelled with old Andy at da and with chief george of the chilcoots and the factor at pelly and so on down the line he got us into no end of trouble and specially woman trouble he was always monkeying around mr chairman i object frona stood up her face quite calm and blood under control there is no necessity for bringing in the amours of mr st vincent they have no bearing whatsoever upon the case and further none of the men of this meeting are clean enough to be prompted by the right motive for conducting such an inquiry so i demand that the prosecution at least confine itself to relevant testimony bill brown came up smugly complacent and smiling mr chairman we willingly accede to the request made by the defence whatever we have brought out has been relevant and material whatever we intend to bring out shall be relevant and material mr bishop is our star witness and his testimony is to the point it must be taken into consideration that we have no direct evidence as to the murder of john borg we can bring no eye-witnesses into the court whatever we have is circumstantial it is an incumbent upon us to show cause to show cause it is necessary to go to the character of the accused this we intend to do we intend to show his adulterous and lustful nature which has culminated in a dastardly deed and jeopardized his neck we intend to show that the truth is not in him that he is a liar beyond price that no word he may speak upon the stand need be accepted by a jury of his peers we intend to show all this and to weave it together thread by thread till we have a rope long enough and strong enough to hang him with before the day is done so i respectfully submit mr chairman that the witness be allowed to proceed the chairman decided against frona and her appeal to the meeting was voted down bill brown nodded to dell to resume 
as i was saying he got us into no end of trouble now i've been mixed up with water all my life never can get away from it it seems and the more i'm mixed the less i know about it st vincent knew this too and him a clever hand at the paddle yet he left me to run the box canyon alone while he walked around result i was turned over lost half the outfit and all the tobacco and then he put the blame on me besides right after that he got tangled up with the lake labarge sticks and both of us came near croaking and why was that bill brown interjected all along of a pretty squaw that looked too kindly at him after we got clear i lectured him on women in general and squaws in particular and he promised to behave then we had a hot time with the little salmons he was cuter this time and i didn't know for capes but i guessed he said it was the medicine men who got hostile but nothing will stir up a medicine man quicker than women and the facts pointed that way when i talked it over with him in a fatherly way he got wrathy and i had to take him out in the bank and give him a threshing then he got sulky and didn't brighten up till we ran into the mouth of the reindeer river where a camp of sea-washes were fishing salmon but he had it in for me all the time only i didn't know it was ready at any time to give me the double cross now there's no denying he's got a taking away with women all he has to do is whistle em up like dogs most remarkable faculty that there was the wickedest prettiest squaw among the reindeers never saw her beat except bella well i guess he whistled her up for he delayed in the camp longer than was necessary being partial to women interrupted the chairman who from profitless watching of frona's immobile face had turned to her hand the nervous twitching and clinching of which revealed what her face had hidden that will do mr bishop i think we have had enough of squaws pray do not temper the testimony frona chirruped sweetly it seems very important do you know what i am going to say next dell demanded hotly of the chairman you don't eh then shut up i am running this particular sideshow bill brown sprang into avert hostilities but the chairman restrained himself and bishop went on i'd been done with the whole shooting match squaws and all if you hadn't broke me off well as i said he had it in for me and the first thing i didn't know he'd hit me on the head with the rifle stock bundled the squaw into the canoe and pulled out you all know what the yukon country was in eighty four and there i was without an outfit left alone a thousand miles from anywhere i got out all right though there's no need telling how and so did he you've all heard of his adventures in siberia well with an impressive pause i happen to know a thing or two myself he shoved a hand into the big pocket of his mackinaw jacket and pulled out a dingy leather-bound volume of venerable appearance i got this from pete whipple's old woman whipple of eldorado it concerns her granduncle or great-granduncle i don't know which and if there's anybody here can read russian why it'll go into the details of that siberian trip but as there's no one here that can Corbiton, he can read it someone called in the crowd a way was made for the frenchman forthwith and he was pushed and shoved protestingly to the front savvy the lingo dell demanded yes but so poorly so miserable Corbiton demurred it is a long time i forget go ahead we won't criticize no but go ahead the chairman commanded dell thrust the book into his hands opened at the yellow title page i've been itching to get my paws on some buck like you for months and months he assured him gleefully and now i've got you you can't shake me charlie so fire away curberton began hesitatingly the journal of father yakonst 
comprising an account in brief of his life in the benedictine monastery at obidorsky and in full of his marvellous adventures in east siberia among the deer men the baron looked up for instructions tell us when it was printed del ordered him in warsaw eighteen o seven the pocket miner turned triumphantly to the room do you hear that just keep track of it eighteen o seven remember the baron took up the opening paragraph it was because of tamerlane he commenced unconsciously putting his translation into a construction with which he was already familiar at his first words frona turned white and she remained white throughout the reading once she stole a glance at her father and was glad that he was looking straight before him for she did not feel able to meet his gaze just then on the other hand though she knew st vincent was eyeing her narrowly she took no notice of him and all he could see was a white face devoid of expression when tamerlane swept with fire and soared over eastern asia corberton read slowly states were disrupted cities overthrown and tribes scattered like like stardust a vast people was hurled broadcast over the land fleeing before the conquerors no no before the mad lust of the conquerors these refugees swung far into siberia circling circling to the north and east and fringing the rim of the polar basin with a spray of mongol tribes skip a few pages bill brown advised and read here and there we haven't got all night corberton complied the coast people are eskimo stock merry of nature and not offensive they call themselves the ukilion or the seamen from them i bought dogs and food but they are subject to the chow chuen who live in the interior and are known as the deer men the chow chuen are a fierce and savage race when i left the coast they fell upon me took from me my goods and made me a slave he ran over a few pages i worked my way to a seat among the headmen but i was no nearer my freedom my wisdom was of too great value to them for me to depart old piuni was a great chief and it was decreed that i should marry his daughter ilswunga ilswunga was a filthy creature she would not bathe and her ways were not good i did marry ilswunga but she was a wife to me only in name then did she complain to her father the old piuni and he was very wroth and dissension was sown among the tribes but in the end i became mightier than ever what of my cunning and resource and ilswunga made no more complaint for i taught her games with cards which she might play by herself and other things is that enough corberton asked yes that will do bill brown answered but one moment please state again the date of publication eighteen o seven in warsaw hold on baron del bishop spoke up now that you're on the stand i've got a question or so to slap into you he turned to the courtroom gentlemen you've all heard somewhat of the prisoner's experiences in siberia you've caught on to the remarkable sameness between them and those published by father yakonsk nearly a hundred years ago and you have concluded that there's been some wholesale cribbing somewhere i propose to show you that it's more than cribbing the prisoner gave me the shake on the reindeer river in eighty eight fall of eighty eight he was at st michael's on his way to siberia eighty nine and ninety he was by his talk cutting up antics in siberia ninety one he came back to the world working the conquering hero graft in frisco now let's see if the frenchman can make us wise you were in japan he asked herberton who had followed the dates made a quick calculation and could but illy conceal his surprise he looked appealingly to frona but she did not help him yes he said finally and you met the prisoner there yes 
what year was it there was a general craning forward to catch the answer eighteen eighty nine and it came unwillingly now how can that be baron dell asked in a wheedling tone the prisoner was in siberia at that time Curberton shrugged his shoulders that it was no concern of his and came off the stand an impromptu recess was taken by the courtroom for several minutes wherein there was much whispering and shaking of heads that's all a lie st vincent leaned close to frona's ear but she did not hear appearances are against me but i can explain it all but she did not move a muscle and he was called to the stand by the chairman she turned to her father and the tears rushed up into her eyes when he rested his hand on hers do you care to pull out he asked after a momentary hesitation she shook her head and st vincent began to speak it was the same story he had told her though told now a little more fully and in no wise did it conflict with the evidence of la flitch and john he acknowledged the wash-tub incident caused he explained by an act of simple courtesy on his part and by john borg's unreasoning answer he acknowledged that bella had been killed by his own pistol but stated that the pistol had been borrowed by borg several days previously and not returned concerning bella's accusation he could say nothing he could not see why she should die with a lie on her lips he had never in the slightest way incurred her displeasure so even revenge could not be advanced it was inexplicable as for the testimony of bishop he did not care to discuss it it was a tissue of falsehood cunningly interwoven with truth it was true the man had gone into alaska with him in eighteen eighty eight but his version of the things which happened there was maliciously untrue regarding the baron there was a slight mistake in the dates that was all in questioning him bill brown brought out one little surprise from the prisoner's story he had made a hard fight against the two mysterious men if brown asked such were the case how can you explain away the fact that you came out of the struggle unmarked on examination of the body of john borg many bruises and contusions were noticeable how is it if you put up such a stiff fight that you escaped being battered st vincent did not know though he confessed to feeling stiff and sore all over it did not matter anyway he had killed neither borg nor his wife that much he did know rona prefaced her argument to the meeting with a pithy discourse on the sacredness of human life the weaknesses and dangers of circumstantial evidence and the rights of the accused wherever doubt arose then she plunged into the evidence stripping off the superfluous and striving to confine herself to facts in the first place she denied that a motive for the deed had been shown as it was the introduction of such evidence was an insult to their intelligence and she had sufficient faith in their manhood and perspicacity to know that such puerility would not sway them in the verdict they were to give and on the other hand in dealing with the particular points at issue she denied that any intimacy had been shown to have existed between bella and st vincent and she denied further that it had been shown that any intimacy had been attempted on the part of st vincent viewed honestly the wash-tub incident the only evidence brought forward was a laughable little affair portraying how the simple courtesy of a gentleman might be misunderstood by a mad boor of a husband she left it to their common sense they were not fools they had striven to prove the prisoner bad-tempered she did not need to prove anything of the sort concerning john borg they all knew his terrible fits of temper they all knew that his temper was proverbial in the community that it had prevented him from having friends and had made him many enemies was it not very probable therefore that the masked men were two such enemies 
as to what particular motive actuated these two men she could not say but it rested with them the judges to know whether in all alaska there were or were not two men whom john borg could have given cause sufficient for them to take his life witness had testified that no traces had been found of these two men but the witness had not testified that no traces had been found of st vincent pierre lafiche or john the swede and there was no need for them to so testify everybody knew that no footmarks were left when st vincent ran up the trail and when he came back with la flitch and the other man everybody knew the condition of the trail that it was a hard-packed groove in the ground on which a soft moccasin could leave no impression and that had the ice not gone down the river no traces would have been left by the murderers in passing from and to the mainland at this juncture la flitch nodded his head in approbation and she went on capital had been made of the blood on st vincent's hands if they chose to examine the moccasins at that moment on the feet of mr la flitch they would also find blood that did not argue that mr la flitch had been a party to the shedding of the blood mr brown had drawn attention to the fact that the prisoner had not been bruised or marked in the savage encounter which had taken place she thanked him for having done so john borg's body showed that it had been roughly used he was a larger stronger heavier man than st vincent if as charged st vincent had committed the murder and necessarily therefore engaged in a struggle severe enough to bruise john borg how was it that he had come out unharmed that was a point worthy of consideration another one was why did he run down the trail it was inconceivable if he had committed the murder that he should without dressing or preparation for escape run towards the other cabins it was however easily conceivable that he should take up the pursuit of the real murderers and in the darkness exhausted breathless and certainly somewhat excited run blindly down the trail her summing up was a strong piece of synthesis and when she had done the meeting applauded her roundly but she was angry and hurt for she knew the demonstration was for her sex rather than for her cause and the work she had done bill brown somewhat of a shyster and his ear ever cocked to the crowd was not above taking advantage when opportunity offered and when it did not offer to dogmatize artfully in this his native humor was a strong factor and when he had finished with the mysterious masked men they were as exploded sun-myths which phrase he promptly applied to them they could not have got off the island the condition of the ice for the three or four hours preceding the break-up would not have permitted it the prisoner had implicated none of the residents of the island while every one of them with the exception of the prisoner had been accounted for elsewhere possibly the prisoner was excited when he ran down the trail into the arms of la flitch and john the swede one should have thought however that he had grown used to such things in siberia but that was immaterial the facts were that he was undoubtedly in an abnormal state of excitement that he was hysterically excited and that a murderer under such circumstances would take little account of where he ran such things had happened before many a man had butted into his own retribution in the matter of the relations of borg bella and st vincent he made a strong appeal to the instinctive prejudices of his listeners and for the time being abandoned matter-of-fact reasoning for all potent sentimental platitudes he granted that circumstantial evidence never proved anything absolutely it was not necessary it should beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt was all that was required that this had been done he went on to review the testimony and finally he said you can't get around bella's last words we know nothing of our own direct knowledge 
we've been feeling around in the dark clutching at little things and trying to figure it all out but gentlemen he paused to search the faces of his listeners bella knew the truth hers is no circumstantial evidence with quick anguished breath and life-blood ebbing from her and eyeballs glazing she spoke the truth with dark night coming on and the death rattle in her throat she raised herself weakly and pointed a shaking finger at the accused thus and she said him 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 st vincia him do it with bill brown's finger still boring into him st vincent struggled to his feet his face looked old and gray and he looked about him speechlessly funk funk was whispered back and forth and not so softly but what he heard he moistened his lips repeatedly and his tongue fought for articulation it is as i have said he succeeded finally i did not do it before god i did not do it he stared fixedly at john the swede waiting the while on his laggard thought i i did not do it i did not i i did not he seemed to have become lost in some supreme meditation wherein john the swede figured largely and as frona caught him by the hand and pulled him gently down some man cried out secret ballot but bill brown was on his feet at once no i say no an open ballot we are men and as men are not afraid to put ourselves on record a chorus of approval greeted him and the open ballot began man after man called upon by name spoke the one word guilty baron curberton came forward and whispered to frona she nodded her head and smiled and he edged his way back taking up a position by the door he voted not guilty when his turn came as did frona and jacob wells pierre laflitche wavered a moment looking keenly at frona and st vincent then spoke up clear and flute-like guilty as the chairman arose jacob wells casually walked over to the opposite side of the table and stood with his back to the stove corberton who had missed nothing pulled a pickle keg out from the wall and stepped upon it the chairman cleared his throat and rapped for order gentlemen he announced the prisoner hands up jacob wells commanded peremptorily and a fraction of a second after him came the shrill hands up gentlemen of corberton front and rear they commanded the crowd with their revolvers every hand was in the air the chairman's having gone up still grasping the mallet there was no disturbance each stood or sat in the same posture as when the command went forth their eyes playing here and there among the central figures always returned to jacob wells st vincent sat as one dumbfounded frona thrust a revolver into his hand but his limp fingers refused to close on it come gregory she entreated quick corliss is waiting with the canoe come she took him and he managed to grip the weapon then she pulled and tugged as when awakening a heavy sleeper till he was on his feet but his face was livid his eyes like a somnambulist's and he was afflicted as with a palsy still holding him she took a step backward for him to come on he ventured it with a shaking knee there was no sound save the heavy breathing of many men a man coughed slightly and cleared his throat it was disquieting and all eyes centered upon him rebukingly the man became embarrassed and shifted his weight uneasily to the other leg then the heavy breathing settled down again st vincent took another step but his fingers relaxed and the revolver fell with a loud noise to the floor he made no effort to recover it frona stooped hurriedly but pierre laflitch had set his foot upon it she looked up and saw his hands above his head and his eyes fixed absently on jacob wells she pushed at his leg and the muscles were tense and hard giving the lie to the indifference in his face st vincent looked down helplessly as though he could not understand but this delay drew the attention of jacob wells and as he tried to make out the cause the chairman found his chance 
without crooking his right arm swept out and down the heavy caulking mallet leaping from his hand it spanned the short distance and smote jacob wells below the ear his revolver went off as he fell and john the swede grunted and clapped a hand to his thigh simultaneous with this the baron was overcome del bishop with hands still above his head and eyes fixed innocently before him had simply kicked the pickle keg out from under the frenchman and brought him to the floor his bullet however sped harmlessly through the roof la fletch seized frona in his arms st vincent suddenly awakening sprang for the door but was tripped up by the breed's ready foot the chairman pounded the table with his fist and concluded his broken sentence gentlemen the prisoner is found guilty as charged end of chapter twenty eight read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com chapter twenty nine of a daughter of the snows by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter twenty nine frona had gone at once to her father's side but he was already recovering Curberton was brought forward with a scratched face sprained wrist and an insubordinate tongue to prevent discussion and to save time bill brown claimed the floor mr chairman while we condemn the attempt on the part of jacob wells frona wells and baron Curberton to rescue the prisoner and thwart justice we cannot under the circumstances but sympathize with them there is no need that i should go further into this matter you all know and doubtless under a like situation would have done the same and so in order that we may expeditiously finish the business i make a motion to disarm the three prisoners and let them go the motion was carried and the two men searched for weapons frona was saved this by giving her word that she was no longer armed the meeting then resolved itself into a hanging committee and began to file out of the cabin sorry i had to do it the chairman said half apologetically half defiantly jacob wells smiled you took your chance he answered and i can't blame you i only wish i'd got you though excited voices arose from across the cabin here you let go step on his fingers tim break that grip ouch ow pry his mouth open frona saw a knot of struggling men about st vincent and ran over he had thrown himself down on the floor and tooth and nail was fighting like a madman tim duggan the stalwart celt had come to close quarters with him and st vincent's teeth were sunk into the man's arm smash him tim smash him how can i ye fool get a pry on his mouth will ye one moment please the men made way for her drawing back and leaving st vincent and tim frona knelt down by him leave go gregory do leave go he looked up at her and his eyes did not seem human he breathed stertorously and in his throat were queer little gasping noises of one overwrought it is i gregory she brushed her hand soothingly across his brow don't you understand it is i frona do leave go his whole body slowly relaxed and a peaceful expression grew upon his face his jaw dropped and the man's arm was withdrawn now listen gregory though you are to die but i cannot i cannot he groaned you said that i could trust to you that all would come well she thought of the chance which had been given but said nothing oh frona frona he sobbed and buried his face in her lap at least you can be a man it is all that remains come on tim duggan commanded sorry to bother you miss but we've got to fetch him along drag him out you fellies catch him by the legs blackie and you too johnson st vincent's body stiffened at the words 
the rational gleam went out of his eyes and his fingers closed spasmodically on frona's she looked entreaty at the men and they hesitated give me a minute with him she begged just a minute he ain't worth it duggan sneered after they had drawn apart look at him it's a damn shame corroborated blackie squinting sideways at frona whispering in st vincent's ear the while her hand wandered caressingly through his hair what she said they did not hear but she got him on his feet and led him forward he walked as a dead man might walk and when he entered the open air gazed forth wonderingly upon the muddy sweep of the yukon the crowd had formed by the bank about a pine tree a boy engaged in running a rope over one of the branches finished his task and slid down the trunk to the ground he looked quickly at the palms of his hands and blew upon them and a laugh went up a couple of wolf dogs on the outskirts bristled up to each other and bared their fangs men encouraged them they closed in and rolled over but were kicked aside to make room for st vincent corliss came up the bank to frona what's up he whispered is it off she tried to speak but swallowed and nodded her head this way gregory she touched his arm and guided him to the box beneath the rope corliss keeping step with them looked over the crowd speculatively and felt into his jacket pocket can i do anything he asked gnawing his under lip impatiently whatever you say goes frona i can stand them off she looked at him aware of pleasure in the sight she knew he would dare it but she knew also that it would be unfair st vincent had had his chance and it was not right that further sacrifice should be made no vance it is too late nothing can be done at least let me try he persisted no it is not our fault that our plan failed and and her eyes filled please do not ask it of me then let me take you away you cannot remain here i must she answered simply and turned to st vincent who seemed dreaming blackie was tying the hangman's knot in the rope's end preparatory to slipping the noose over st vincent's head kiss me gregory she said her hand on his arm he started at the touch and saw all eager eyes centered upon him and the yellow noose just shaped in the hands of the hangman he threw up his arms as though to ward it off and cried loudly no no let me confess let me tell the truth then you'll believe me bill brown and the chairman shoved blackie back and the crowd gathered in cries and protestations rose from its midst no you don't a boy's shrill voice made itself heard i'm not going to go i climbed the tree and made the rope fast and i've got a right to stay you're only a kid replied a man's voice and it ain't good for you i don't care and i'm not a kid i'm i'm used to such things and anyway i climbed the tree look at my hands of course he can stay other voices took up the trouble leave him alone curly you ain't the whole thing a laugh greeted this and things quieted down silent the chairman called and then to st vincent go ahead you and don't take all day about it give us a chance to hear the crowd broke out again put em on the box put em on the box st vincent was helped up and began with eager volubility i didn't do it but i saw it done there were two men only one he did it and bella helped him a wave of laughter drowned him out not so fast bill brown cautioned him kindly explain how bella helped this man kill herself begin at the beginning that night before he turned in borg set his burglar alarm burglar alarm that's what i called it a tin bread pan attached to the latch so the door couldn't open without tumbling it down he set it every night as though he were afraid of what might happen the very thing which did happen for that matter 
on the night of the murder i awoke with the feeling that someone was moving around the slush lamp was burning low and i saw bella at the door borg was snoring i could hear him plainly bella was taking down the bread pan and she exercised great care about it then she opened the door and an indian came in softly he had no mask and i should know him if ever i see him again for a scar ran along the forehead and down over one eye i suppose you sprang out of bed and gave the alarm no i didn't st vincent answered with a defiant toss of the head as though he might as well get the worst over with i just lay there and waited what did you think that bella was in collusion with the indian and that borg was to be murdered it came to me at once and you did nothing nothing his voice sank and his eyes dropped to frona leaning against the box beneath him and steadying it she did not seem to be affected bella came over to me but i closed my eyes and breathed regularly she held the slush lamp to me but i played sleep naturally enough to fool her then i heard a snort of sudden awakening an alarm and a cry and i looked out the indian was hacking at borg with a knife and borg was warding off with his hands and trying to grapple him when they did grapple bella crept up from behind and threw her arm in a stranglehold about her husband's neck she put her knee into the small of his back and bent him backward and with the indian helping threw him to the floor and what did you do i watched had you a revolver yes the one you previously said john borg had borrowed yes but i watched did john borg call for help yes and you give his words he called st vincent oh st vincent oh my god oh st vincent help me he shuddered at the recollection and added it was terrible i should say so brown grunted and you i watched was the dogged reply while a groan went up from the crowd borg shook clear of them however and got on his legs he hurled bella across the cabin with a back sweep of the arm and turned upon the indian then they fought the indian had dropped the knife and the sound of borg's blows was sickening i thought he would surely beat the indian to death that was when the furniture was smashed they rolled and snarled and struggled like wild beasts i wondered the indian's chest did not cave in under some of borg's blows but bella got the knife and stabbed her husband repeatedly about the body the indian had clinched with him and his arms were not free so he kicked out at her sideways he must have broken her legs for she cried out and fell down and though she tried she never stood up again then he went down with the indian under him across the stove did he call any more for help he begged me to come to him and i watched he managed to get clear of the indian and staggered over to me he was streaming blood and i could see he was very weak give me your gun he said quick give me it he felt around blindly then his mind seemed to clear a bit and he reached across me to the holster hanging on the wall and took the pistol the indian came at him with the knife again but he did not try to defend himself instead he went on towards bella with the indian still hanging to him and hacking at him the indian seemed to bother and irritate him and he shoved him away he knelt down and turned bella's face up to the light but his own face was covered with blood and he could not see so he stopped long enough to brush the blood from his eyes he appeared to look in order to make sure then he put the revolver to her breast and fired the indian went wild at this and rushed at him with the knife at the same time knocking the pistol out of his hand it was then the shelf with the slush lamp was knocked down they continued to fight in the darkness and there were more shots fired though i do not know by whom i crawled out of the bunk but they struck against me in their struggles and i fell over bella that's when the blood got on my hands 
as i ran out the door more shots were fired then i met la flitch and john and-and you know the rest this is the truth i have told you i swear it he looked down at frona she was steadying the box and her face was composed he looked out over the crowd and saw unbelief many were laughing why did you not tell this story at first bill brown demanded because because well because i might have helped there was more laughter at this and bill brown turned away from him gentlemen you have heard this pipe dream it is a wilder fairy story than his first at the beginning of the trial we promised to show that the truth was not in him that we succeeded your verdict is ample testimony but that he should likewise succeed and more brilliantly we did not expect that he has you cannot doubt what do you think of him lie upon lie he has given us he has been proven a chronic liar are you to believe this last and fearfully impossible lie gentlemen i can only ask that you reaffirm your judgment and to those who may doubt his mendacity surely there are but few let me state that if his story is true if he broke salt with this man john borg and lay in his blankets while the murder was done if he did hear unmoved the voice of the man calling to him for help if he did lie there and watch that carnival of butchery without his manhood prompting him let me state gentlemen i say let me state that he is none the less deserveful of hanging we cannot make a mistake what shall it be death string him up stretch him were the cries but the crowd suddenly turned its attention to the river and even blackie refrained from his official task a large raft worked by a sweep at either end was slipping past the tail of split-up island close to the shore when it was at their feet its nose was slewed into the bank and while its free end swung into the stream to make the consequent circle a snubbing rope was flung ashore and several turns taken about the tree under which st vincent stood a cargo of moose meat red and raw cut into quarters peeped from beneath a cool covering of spruce brows and because of this the two men on the raft looked up to those on the bank with pride in their eyes trying to make dawson with it one of them explained and the sun's all fired hot nope said his comrade in reply to a query don't care to stop and trade it's worth a dollar and a half a pound down below and we're hustling to get there but we've got some pieces of a man we want to leave with you he turned and pointed to a loose heap of blankets which slightly disclosed the form of a man beneath we gathered him in this morning about thirty mile up the stewart i should judge stands in need of doctrine the other man spoke up and the meat's spoiling and we ain't got time for nothing beggar don't have anything to say don't savvy the burrow looks as he might have been mixin things with a grizzly or something all battered and gouged injured internally from the looks of it where'll you have him frona standing by st vincent saw the injured man borne over the crest of the bank and through the crowd a bronzed hand drooped down and a bronzed face showed from out the blankets the bearers halted near them while a decision could be reached as to where he could be carried frona felt a sudden fierce grip on her arm look look st vincent was leaning forward and pointing wildly at the injured man look that scar the indian opened his eyes and a grin of recognition distorted his face it is he it is he st vincent trembling with eagerness turned upon the crowd i call you all to witness that is the man who killed john borg no laughter greeted this for there was a terrible earnestness in his manner bill brown and the chairman tried to make the indian talk but could not a miner from british columbia was pressed into service but his chinook made no impression then la flitch was called 
the handsome breed bent over the man and talked in gutturals which only his mother's heredity made possible it sounded all one yet it was apparent that he was trying many tongues but no response did he draw and he paused disheartened as though with sudden recollection he made another attempt at once a gleam of intelligence shot across the indian's face and his larynx vibrated to similar sounds it is the stick-talk of the upper white la flitch stopped long enough to explain then with knit brows and stumbling moments when he sought dim remembered words he plied the man with questions to the rest it was like a pantomime the meaningless grunts and waving arms and facial expressions of puzzlement surprise and understanding at times a passion wrote itself on the face of the indian and a sympathy on the face of la flitch again by look and gesture st vincent was referred to and once a sober mirthless laugh shaped the mouths of them so it is good la flitch said when the indian's head dropped back this man make true talk he come from white river way up he cannot understand he surprised very much so many white men he never think so many white men in the world he die soon his name gow long time ago three year this man john borg go to this man gow's country he hunt he bring plenty meat to the camp wherefore white river sticks like him gow have one squaw pisku bime by john borg make preparation to go away he go to gow and he say give me your squaw we trade for her i give you many things but gow say no pisku good squaw no man so moccasin like she she tan moose skin the best and make the softest leather he like pisku then john borg say he didn't care he want pisku then they have a skookum big fight and pisku go away with john borg she no want to go away but she go anyway borg call her bella and give her plenty good things but she like gow all the time la flitch pointed to the scar which ran down the forehead and past the eye of the indian john borg he do that long time gow pretty near die then he get well but his head sick he don't know nobody don't know his father his mother or anything just like a little baby just like that then one day quick click something snap and his head get well all at once he know his father and mother he remember pisku he remember everything his father say john borg go down river then gow go down river springtime ice very bad he very much afraid so many white men and when he come to this place he travel by night nobody see him tall but he see everybody he like a cat see in the dark somehow he comes straight to john borg's cabin he do not know how this was except that the work he had to do was good work st vincent pressed frona's hand but she shook her fingers clear and withdrew a step he see pisco feed the dogs and he have talk with her that night he come and she opened the door when you know that which was done st vincent do nothing borg kill bella gow kill borg borg kill gow for gow die pretty quick borg have strong arm gow sick inside all smashed up gow no care pisco dead after that he go cross ice to the land i tell him all you people say it cannot be no man can cross the ice at that time he laugh and say that it is and what is must be anyway he have very hard time but he get cross all right he very sick inside bime by he cannot walk he crawl long time he come to stewart river can go no more so he lay down to die two white men find him and bring him to this place he don't care he die anyway la flitch finished abruptly but nobody spoke then he added i think gow damn good man frona came up to jacob wells take me away father she said i am so tired end of chapter twenty nine read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california 
shaggybark.blogspot.com Chapter 30 of A Daughter of the Snows by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 30 Next morning, Jacob Wells, for all of the company and his millions in mines, chopped up the day's supply of firewood, lighted a cigar, and went down the island in search of Baron Courberton. Frona finished the breakfast dishes, hung out the robes to air, and fed the dogs. Then she took a worn Wordsworth from her clothes bag, and, out by the bank, settled herself comfortably in a seat formed by two uprooted pines. But she did no more than open the book, for her eyes strayed out and over the Yukon to the eddy below the bluffs, and the bend above, and the tail of the spit which lay in the midst of the river. The rescue and the race were still fresh with her, though there were strange lapses here and there, of which she remembered little. The struggle by the fissure was immeasurable. She knew not how long it lasted, and the race down split up to Rubo Island was a thing of which her reason convinced her, but of which she recollected nothing. The whim seized her, and she followed Corliss through the three days' events, but she tacitly avoided the figure of another man whom she would not name. Something terrible was connected therewith, she knew, which must be faced sooner or later, but she preferred to put that moment away from her. She was stiff and sore of mind as well as of body, and will and action were for the time being distasteful. It was more pleasant even to dwell on Tommy, on Tommy of the bitter tongue and craven heart, and she made a note that the wife and children in toronto should not be forgotten when the northland paid its dividends to the wells the crackle of a foot on a dead willow twig roused her and her eyes met st vincent's you have not congratulated me upon my escape he began breezily but you must have been dead tired last night i know i was and you had that hard pull on the river besides he watched her furtively trying to catch some cue as to her attitude and mood you're a heroine that's what you are frona he began again with exuberance and not only did you save the mailman but by the delay you wrought in the trial you saved me if one more witness had gone on the stand that first day i should have been duly hanged before gal put in an appearance fine chap gal too bad he's going to die i am glad that i could be of help she replied wondering the while what she could say and of course i am to be congratulated your trial is hardly a thing for congratulation she spoke up quickly looking him straight in the eyes for the moment i am glad that it came out as it did but surely you cannot expect me to congratulate you oh with long-drawn inflection so that's where it pinches he smiled good-humouredly and moved as though to sit down but she made no room for him and he remained standing i can certainly explain if there have been women Rona had been clenching her hand nervously, but at the word burst out in laughter. "'Women?' she queried. "'Women?' she repeated. "'Do not be ridiculous, Gregory.' "'After the way you stood by me through the trial,' he began reproachfully, "'I thought—' "'Oh, you do not understand,' she said hopelessly. "'You do not understand. Look at me, Gregory, and see if I can make you understand. Your presence is painful to me. Your kisses hurt me.' The memory of them still burns my cheek, and my lips feel unclean. And why? Because of women, which you may explain away? How little do you understand? But shall I tell you? Voices of men came to her from down the river bank and the splashing of water. 
she glanced quickly and saw del bishop guiding a poling boat against the current and corliss on the bank bending to the tow-rope shall i tell you why gregory st vincent she said again tell you why your kisses have cheapened me because you broke the faith of food and blanket because you broke salt with a man and then watched that man fight unequally for life without lifting your hand why i had rather you had died in defending him the memory of you would have been good yes i had rather you had killed him yourself at least it would have shown there was blood in your body so this is what you would call love he began scornfully his fretting fuming devil beginning to rouse a fair-weather love truly but lord how we men learn i had thought you were well lessened she retorted what of the other women but what do you intend to do he demanded taking no notice i am not an easy man to cross you cannot throw me over with impunity i shall not stand for it i warn you you have dared do things in this country which would blacken you were they known i have ears i have not been asleep you will find it no child's play to explain away things which you may declare most innocent she looked at him with a smile which carried pity in its cold mirth and it goaded him i am down a thing to make jest upon a thing to pity but i promise you that i can drag you with me my kisses have cheapened you eh then how must you have felt at happy camp on the dia trail as though in answer corliss swung down upon them with the tow-rope frona beckoned a greeting to him vance she said the mail carrier has brought important news to father so important that he must go outside he starts this afternoon with baron Kerberton in la bijou will you take me down to dawson i should like to go at once to-day he-he suggested you she added shyly indicating st vincent end of chapter thirty end of a daughter of the snows by jack london read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com